three call, and that'll do it. The Blue Jays win it. They shut out the Red Sox on just five hits. Young Jin Ryu set the tone from the mound, and the hitters took it from there. Behind the net, Kappen and chops it to McCann. Left side, Carter cuts atop the crease, fires, and scores! Jeff Carter gives the Penguins a 2 nothing lead late in the first period. Yandel in the Panther zone. A pass center ice blocked by Yanni Gord. Shoots it toward the open net. Score! Yanni Gord! Bullseye! 3-1 Lightning with 1.25 left. Under a minute to go in the third. The Golden Knights up by one and up a man. Stevenson darting in. Centerman! And Puck scores! I feel like we're in for a long run with our guy, Dave Mishkin, Ziggy. My, my Florida Panthers getting out of the South Division is not looking, not looking good. Florida, yeah, well, we love Florida. You never want to drop the first two at, at home. home. Well, yeah, it's just, it's not a good, it's not a good way to start. And there was a couple of those last night, right? You had Islanders, um, and and Pittsburgh, another situation there. And Pittsburgh, I thought, looked really good as well. But yeah, this Tampa Bay Lightning team, it's almost like we don't know what to expect. Is Point going to still be the same guy from last year? Stamkos coming off of injury. Kucherov hasn't played all year. I don't know. Like it's it. There's such a a, a tough team right to uh, to really figure out what they're going to be we know they're going to be good we know they got skill uh we know they're one of the best in the league but you have a guy like Kucherov I don't care if he's one of your depth pieces a guy you're going to throw on a third line like a Nash in Toronto or it's the best player in your team when you have a guy that hasn't played all year um in Kucherov's case right you, you don't know kind of what to expect and he's been he's been brilliant I mean it's it, it, I I I don't know what else you want from uh, from your uh, your most skilled guy. No disrespect to Stamkos. Stamkos was great. He had a goal last night. Love the patience on the goal, but um, you know, having both of those guys back in the lineup, that power play is just is, is so good. It was good in the first game, and both guys were were excellent. Yes, yesterday you mix Vasilevsky in there, and you know you you get you got one of the best decors in the league. It, yeah, it. I, I, I don't know, like, were, were, were the Panthers favored for you? Like, it, it, No, I just, I, just thought that, I just thought that they were a, pot- a potential breakthrough team. Yeah. Right, because they, they were disappointing in Joel Quenville's first year there last year. I think that had a lot to do with Sergei Bobrovsky being such a disappointment. They bounced back. They were consistently good all year long. Like, somebody... Uh, this is the thing in the playoffs and, and especially in matchups like this, Boston, Washington, it's the same story, Ziggy. A good team is going home. A good team is going home when this is all said and done. I yeah, like which yeah, like which teams are gonna go home where you're just like, Yeah, I can see that. Like Montreal. Like what what matchups in the playoffs? Nashville, like, it, it, but I But they've been Saras unreal is, yeah, in the second half. They have, they've been yeah. really good team. Really good team. Like, I don't know who you're looking St. at. St. Like, Louis? St. Louis, uh, Nashville, Montreal. If you want to take 
three teams. Like St. Louis there. doesn't have Petrangelo anymore, right? So the, and Bo Meester had the health issue, and he and he's gone. Like they, and I think Edmondson is out too. So like he's not there. So St. Louis is not the team that won the Stanley Cup mm-hmm. yeah. a couple of years ago, right? So if you're asking me that question, I I, I guess I'd I'd lump them in there. Montreal should be in there. And and yeah. I th- I think one of the things we're going to be looking for, and I don't know if the question can be answered, is is what do the Leafs look like? How do the Leafs look relative to the quality of hockey that we've seen been played so far in these playoffs? Because the goal is the final four. I, I got I get it. You got to beat Montreal and then presumably Edmonton, if not Winnipeg. You, you got to get through those. Two rounds, you got to win eight games. But when you get to the final four and you bump into a Boston or a Washington or a Pittsburgh, or if you end up with a Tampa Bay or a, a Vegas Golden Knights or Minnesota Wild, Hayden Matthewson, there you go. Thumbs up. I can see yeah, that is the right digit there. That yeah, looks actually, like a thumb through the glass, yeah, not a middle if finger. Minis- if Minnesota gets knocked out, yeah, I can see that happening. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you see what no, I mean? They're like, a good team. They're a good team too. Right? No, I know. But with my point with the Leafs being high quality hockey and people are going to, if the Leafs roll through the Habs, they're going to say, well, the Habs weren't that good to begin with. But can the Leafs play that high quality hockey? I certainly think on paper they can. Can they play that high quality hockey to match up with the very best teams if they take this run deep? Yeah. And I, I well, if you want to say who should win, I would go Toronto. Um, I, I'm trying to look for. I'm trying to look for a slam dunk first round win. Um, I would go maybe. I, I would go Colorado and Toronto. Like if if those two teams didn't win, I would be, I would be really surprised. But outside of that, like I, I don't know that it's out there. Like if Nash, if if Carolina didn't win, I know they're. They've crept up to be favorites, but with Soros and net for Nashville, and I think he's been one of the best goaltenders in the league. I, I don't, I, I, I just, I think Nashville is not a team. I think they can upset Carolina. Like, and it's, I'm not surprised if they did do it. You know what I'm trying to say? It's like the Leafs, if, if Montreal win, I would be really shocked. It's not just that I'm a, I'm a Leafs fan and, and we're here in Toronto talking about them every day. Colorado, I think they're one of the best. I think them in Vegas, um, you know, out of the West are are two of the best in the league. But outside of that, I don't know. Like the Islanders beating Pittsburgh, not a shock at all. I know I said that's my like dark horse team, my sleeper pick. Like Pittsburgh can can win. I know they had a little bit of issues in net in 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 the first game, but he, I don't know. They that that game yesterday. I thought I thought games yesterday cooled off a little bit um, from game one. Game one, everyone kind of comes out and guns blazing, but in that one, in the games yesterday, things felt like they did settle down. But um, you know, Tristan Jari, I thought I thought he was excellent. Uh, he rebounded well. You have a bad first game like he did the other night. Sometimes you second guess yourself in net, right? You have a you have a bad one. You let a bad goal in. And I know um, Varlamov yesterday, he kind of, uh, you know, I, I thought the first one was really bad. 
I thought it was just a routine save. I don't know how he misplayed that one with his on his glove side, but I thought the second goal by Carter was was an excellent move. And you're gonna say, well, that was another soft goal as well along the ice. Mm-hmm. Carter's so smart coming off his the left side on the forehand, and he waits long enough for a guy like Varlamov to pick up that right side and push off. That's not a goal where he's just hoping to kind of slide one back door. This is a guy that he knows what the goaltender has to do to get over it and front him. And it was a perfectly placed shot. I, so I, I, I thought that I just thought both games settled in a little bit into the playoffs. I think they'll pick up again next game. Like, like the first one, but that's going to happen. You, you, you come out, you go a little bit harder. Your motion gets the best of you. Lots of penalties. You're running around a little bit. The Tampa Florida game was still, was still physical. Um, you know, they still had over 60, uh, how many hits did they have in that one? 42 well, for, they got after for it Tampa. The too. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, 37 for, for Florida. So there's still a lot of hits, but I mean, nothing like that first game. Well, and as you said, game three, it picks back up again because it's the first home game for the the mm-hmm. team that started on the road in the playoffs, right? And one thing we found out yesterday is that the Quebec government, Ziggy, is apparently going to allow a limited capacity of Habs fans into the building in time for game six because Quebec is going to ease, as a province, its restrictions on May the 28th, game six would be May the 29th. And that leads us to the leadoff troll poll for Wednesday morning on Twitter. It's Scotty Mac thinks that Mike Zigamanis and Hugh W. Burl get the station at Fan 590. With the announcement that the Montreal Canadiens will be allowed to have some fans, apparently 2,500, in the stands for their home games after May the 28th, the next time the Habs actually will host fans is game six. Next season or next round? (laughs) See, so this is because tomorrow we'll do our prediction for the series, right? But this is effectively pushing the prediction up a day. Will the Montreal Canadiens have fans in the stands at any point this season? Yes or no? I'm going to give it a 15% chance that there is a game six. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, 2,500 fans, it's going to be great, but that's more of like, who's going to get let in. Is this going to be frontline workers? Is this going to be people who have done extraordinary things in the community during the pandemic? Are they going to let in their longest standing season ticket holders? I'm like, who are the 2,500 fans? I'm sure that's getting, I'm sure a lot of calls were made last Seems night. to be a lot of wasted energy on who the 2,500 fans will be for a game that's not even going to be played. Yeah. <laughs> the the texts so, are coming in, Ziggy. I know you're going to talk about Montreal being able to have 2,500 fans after May 28th. It's genius. The Quebec Premier can appease the public without actually having to do anything <laughs> since the Habs will be out by yeah, May 28th. Like, yeah, Mike and Chatham. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah, our golf courses will be open up uh, November 15th. Okay, guys, stop complaining. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> bring bring your fl- bring your fluorescent golf balls. <laughs> that's the that's the equivalent of a game 6 in Montreal. <laughs> um yeah, uh yeah, it's uh, 
is there going to be a game six? Like, I, yeah, I, it's like, why not? Why, why bother announcing? I, yeah, is it for, you know, it's, well, they're preparing. I, yeah, just, I don't know. We're just having fun. I, I could yeah. honestly see, I could on, honestly see none of this mattering. I, I, yeah. I do agree with Andrew Berkshire, who was on yesterday morning, Ziggy, saying, like, if the Leafs control game one, I don't know what you believe about momentum, and and I'm not necessarily talking about momentum here. But if if the Leafs control Game One, they have the team to roll in this series. And I I said it, I think it was yesterday. I'll I'll repeat myself now. Like diehard 49ers fan, you know that. Whenever you listen to this show, I go on and on and on about them. But I remember being on Good Show with JD and Ben. I think the Friday before the NFC Championship game against Green Bay, the year the Niners, like not this past year, but the year before when the Niners ended up going to the Super Bowl, lost to Kansas City. And JD asked me, he said, so like, are you, what are you worried about on Sunday? What, what, as a fan, obviously you worry. I said, I got to be honest with you. I'm worried that I'm not worried. I'm worried mm-hmm. that I'm not worried. I'm so convinced the Niners are going to roll that I feel like, the arrogance is uncomfortable. And of course the Niners went on and rolled because they were the better team and it it, it wasn't really close. I understand the Habs physicality, but as I sit here right now and I felt this all week, I can't shake this feeling that the Leafs are going to, are going to roll in this series. Well, were you, I know, I know your argument. No, like what'd you say? What'd you think about Keith's comments yesterday and about, you know, I, I've got no, like, I've got, like, he, he brought up Joe Thornton when he said he brought, you know, he has no stress when he was in Toronto. Like, Keith has no stress about the playoffs. Is that, is that kind of like what, <laughs> what you're well, concerned about? It's like, well, the, this team doesn't look like, I guess it's, I guess when you, when you hear comments like that or you say to yourself, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not worried or I'm not, concerned about the team should that be an issue i understand what you're saying it's like are you are you, are they preparing am i prepared the right way right, but is, this is, i mean this is the moment we've all been waiting for the, all the hype everything the canadian division and all of this at the in january when the when the league was starting back up that that was all well and good it was novelty for a while the division had its ups and downs we were saying in January, Austin could score 40. Maybe he scores 50 and 56. Who the heck knows? But none of it's going to matter until the second season, until May. Well, we're here now. There's that. And then you factor in the moves that Kyle Dubas has made, bringing Nick Felino in. Felino gets hurt. He's healthy. He's going to play. Riley Nash is hurt. He's going to play. Zach Bogosian is skating. Zach Hyman is back. This team, for one reason or another, and they're certainly not alone in the NHL and not alone across pro sports, but this team, for one reason or another, has very infrequently iced as a group, Ziggy, its best team on paper all year. COVID Mm -hmm. kicks in, injuries, rest, whatever, you know, Freddie Anderson missed a couple of months, and obviously he's not starting game one. And, and, and you know, if Jack Campbell rolls, we might not see a lot of Freddie. But this is the best team and the healthiest it's been since the season started. They're in really good shape. They're in really good shape right now. 
and they should roll on the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't mean they yeah. will, but they should. Yeah, and this is what we this is the team we expected to have, right? Obviously, there have been moves made at the deadline. You have Felino come in. You have you have Nash here now. I I I don't know. I don't know what everyone expected this, like where they wanted the Leafs to be um, at this point. Like, do you want them to be panicking when you hear them talk and do media availability right now? Like, would people rather have keep saying, you know, this is a really good Montreal team and we have our work cut out for us. Like, is, is that, would that make people feel better in this situation? I, I don't need to hear that. I, I want my coach, I want my players to be confident. Like Keith said yesterday as well. Right. He said, you know, this is they're they've they've got a lot of good pieces to their team, but we're pretty good as well. And well, we have a lot a lot of things that are gonna make it said, tough to play. He said Montreal's under pressure as well. They made a bunch of changes in the offseason. Right? They made a bunch of changes. And there's all this talk about Mark Bergevin's future. Let's just listen to Sheldon Keefe talking about pressure and whether or not the team feels it. I think as an organization, we feel it and feel the responsibility to our fans. And certainly to a degree, you know, the players, of course, feel that. Then rather than attaching it to the history, uh, I think it's more just that it's a significant hurdle to get over. Um, and then right away you go from 16 teams to 18 teams and it starts to become real, um, you know, in terms of what you're really you know, competing for. Um, but it, I think we have a great responsibility here as an organization and myself as one of the leaders in the organization to, to push our team past this. So, yeah, you definitely feel that. Sheldon Keefe on Tim and Friends yesterday, and here he is talking about whether he's more comfortable with this year's group. Yeah, certainly. I, th- I think, you know, not only because that young core you referenced has taken a big step here and um, used, you know, whether it's past failures or just their own maturity and growth here, um, they've taken significant steps and they've been extremely focused uh, all season long and have helped, you know, help lead our team to regular season success and, and put ourselves in a, in a favorable position going into the playoffs as, as the number one seed in the North Division, uh, which will be all, that's really all we can take care of and control in the regular season. Uh, so their growth is, is a big reason for confidence for us. See, and it, uh, the thing I appreciate about that answer is that I think the easy default, Ziggy, would have been to say, yeah, we brought in these veterans, right? We yeah. brought Spezza back. We brought in Thornton. We wanted to get tougher, so Simmons and Bogosian came in, and that changed the complexion of the team. No, he went right to the heart of the matter. The big four, and in particular, Matthews and Marner, took huge next steps in their careers. And if if they stay on the same track in the playoffs that they did in the regular season, those two have the ability to carry this team. And that's a nice thought when you consider what's behind them because there are plenty of contributors, Tavares, Nylander, obviously, and more. They're a better team. The only thing you want as a coach, there is only one thing. When the playoffs start and you're going into it, those three days you're kind of ramping up, you have to say to yourself, is this a better team than we were the first week of the season? That's like the only, that's the only question that really matters. That's, that's all you can do. The answer to is that question team, with the Leafs is yes. Then that's it. That's, that's why Keith's when you see Keith and he looks so relaxed, he's just like that. My team, I got them better than they were last year. We had players that I pushed, you know, they're outside their comfort zone. 
Matthews and Martyr are better this year. Nylander, I feel like, has elevated his game as well. I know he doesn't, it hasn't been as much talk about him as Matthews and Marner, but for the most part, those three have been better. John Tavares stepping into that leadership role, he's better in that aspect. You know, especially a guy that had a rough start statistically, who's known for putting up big numbers and then found a way to find his game and put up numbers towards the end of the season. You had all of those things. You bring in Thornton, you have Spezza again. You have Simmons. You find a way to make that work. So you have all these different moving parts for for Keith. You have to be happy. You you juggled your your defensive pairings. You bring in a Stanley Cup winner, Bogosian. You have Muzzin there. Uh, Brody comes in and fits in really nicely. Like we saw what happened with Barry. The Brody thing it it could have ended a bad. Like it could have started off on the wrong foot and it didn't. It's it's been a great fit for both parties. So you have all these different guys coming in. You got the guys from last year. There's question marks on them. Then you get question marks as, from you as a coach. Like You don't think Keefe has had pressure this year after last year's the way. Do you remember him yelling at the team before the pandemic? Remember the timeouts and him yelling? Like, this hasn't been smooth, and he hasn't even had a training camp with them. Comes in start midway through the season, and then this year through the pandemic, it wasn't a normal training camp. It's really tough as a coach. You have to establish your team in training camp over, you know, those couple weeks before camp, you get to talk to the guys. You have your two, three weeks of camp. You have your full slate of exhibition games, and then you can get into an 82 game schedule. Keith hasn't had that. And he's still done, you know, where this team is at today. And it's a really good hockey team. They're a Stanley cup contending team. They have a lot of good players and a lot of guys came in out of the lineup and he's made it all work system wise. They're a better team. They're a harder team to play it than they were from last year and from the start of the season. So from a coaching standpoint, when you hear Keith talk yesterday, that's all you can really do. Is the power play an issue right now? Yes. I'm. If you had to pick one thing, I would say that's what I'm concerned at the most. The second thing is what's going to happen when if Montreal can come out and play a rough style game. Like if they can establish it, not just come around and run around the first 10 minutes and, and look all tough in a game. I mean, a sustained pressure, tough four check, tight neutral zone, bruising defense, uh, tight defensive zone system. Like if they can manage to do that more than for eight, nine minutes to start a game, what's the response going to be from the Leafs? Are they going to play tougher? Are guys like Matthews and Marner are going to start running around. Like, what are we going to see? Are guys going to start playing outside of what made them successful? Those are what, those are the things I'm looking for. And then obviously we've been talking about what's going to happen in net. Everybody wanted a new goaltender. Everybody, everybody, even when Anderson was playing well this past year, everyone said, Freddie can't get it done in the playoffs. We need a guy. All right. Well, you know what? Here's your guy. Campbell's and Nets going to start. Let's see what it's like because everybody that doesn't want Anderson in net and let in the odd soft goal and couldn't win a series here in Toronto at this point, we want somebody new. Well, we got someone new. The only good part about this whole thing is that we still have Anderson hiding in the weeds if something goes wrong with Campbell and they don't win, but we have a new guy in net and that's been the issue with this team. We need someone to stop the puck and take this team to the next level. All right. For all the, all those haters out there on Anderson, we're going to get their chance this week. Oh, here's Sheldon Keefe on whether it was 
difficult to decide on Jack Campbell as the starter. When you reference it being a difficult decision, you know, it certainly was a difficult decision just because of the respect that we have for Frederick Anderson and, and his capabilities as a goaltender and his experience that he brings. Yeah, not difficult because you just look at the fact that Jack Campbell has really taken advantage of his opportunity here and, and has really played extremely well, gotten great results. He gained uh, traction and confidence himself as a number one goaltender. We love Freddie. We respect Freddie. I know. It was There's tough. no way... There's no way around that question. Like, what are you right. gonna what are you gonna say? Like, when I, I'm thinking there, if that gets asked to me, when I have my bona fide starter, the guy that's logged the most games, three mo- highest games in the last five years in the NHL, like the workload that he's had to take on and what he's done for this team, and then all of a sudden a guy comes along, wins 17 games in 20 starts. Yeah, not difficult. Yeah, not <laughs> yeah. difficult. I know, but it's tough. It's just like, it's, what do you say? It's a respect issue for Freddie. I get it. But at the end of the day, if you're Sheldon Keefe, what, like, what, like, what answer do you want out of him there? It's no, no, I, I, I'm ta- I don't care about the answer. It's a, you sit Freddie down, you have the conversation and Freddie has got to be expecting that conversation. And he knows when he walks into the room, exactly what's going to come out of the coach's mouth. I mean, it would be, it would be absolute lunacy lunacy to start Frederick Anderson in game one of this playoff series, given the fact that Jack Campbell has played as well as he has and has pushed through adversity. Like Freddie Anderson's not going, geez, you know, sitting around the locker room one day going, well, there's two of us. No. I haven't I, played in two months. It's and just, he's been it's really just good. awkward. It's, wonder, a- yeah. it's awkward. Your coach sitting there and you get to have you ask that question. It's like, you really want to keep it as short as possible, and you want to say, Campbell has been healthy. Freddie's battled some injuries. Campbell's been hot. We're going to run with him for now. That's literally all I would have said. I think I would have kept it really short because once you start talking in that situation, you could be rambling on for 90 minutes. What did I just like, say? I know. Well, and just one foot in, and then you're trying to grab the other foot. It's like, this guy's gone on a run. Freddie hasn't been healthy. Freddie's back now. We're going to start with Campbell and go from there. That's kind of all I, I wouldn't have said. I don't know. Like, what was the original? I want to know what the original question was because I, you know, like, was it a difficult, what was it? Uh, was it hard to decide who to pick? Like, great question. I'll give it that. Yeah. Great question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, he hedged and I think he hedged enough <laughs> that he, he passed the, uh, Give 110% test. Yes. (laughs) Clichéd it just enough, just enough that it it went well. We'll get into why tomorrow night is the start of something for Jack Campbell, one way or the other. Kyle Lowry, did he say goodbye to Toronto? And Hyunjin Ryu, hopefully someday he can say hello to Toronto. It is best start of the season last night. Wednesday at Scotty Mac thinks of Mike Zigamanis at UW Burl at Fan 590. So the Habs apparently will be allowed to have fans in the stands for any game they play after May 28th. 2,500. 
So the next time the Montreal Canadiens will actually host fans is next season, game six, May 29th against the Leafs, or in the second round. Early voting is in, Ziggy, and it's very lopsided. Do you want to take a guess? Take a guess. Mm, let take me a guess. see. Next year? Next year. <laughs> Almost 66%. Two-thirds yeah. of respondents are saying next year. You're saying don't sleep on the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, I, you I never know. It. You never know, especially if they win game one. Especially if they win game one, then, I mean, it'll be impossible to come here on the radio on, on Friday morning and say we don't have a series on our hands. So Jack Campbell is the clear-cut starting goaltender. Sheldon Keefe was on Tim and Friends yesterday afternoon, and we were laughing before the before the break about how, well, it was, yeah, it was difficult because, oh, yeah, we respect Freddie and what he's done for the organization, but it's not difficult because look at how Jack's played. Yeah, not difficult. Not difficult. Not difficult at all. Not difficult in the end. Jack ain't going between the pipes tomorrow night thinking about this, Ziggy, but... This is true. How Jack Campbell performs in this playoff run could go a long way to determining the length and type of career he has as a Toronto Maple Leaf. Like, he's locked in for $1.65 million next year, so that's a really good number. I mean, that's an unbelievable number if he happens to be your starter or your 1A. It's still a really good number if he's your backup or your 1B. But if he, after almost 10 years of professional hockey, was a first-round draft pick in 2011 of the Dallas Stars, coming up on 10 years ago, if he has a big playoff, he could be setting himself up, A, for the starter's job out of training camp next year, and B, if he rolls with that into the season, he could be lining himself up for a contract. I think if he comes out and plays well in the playoffs, I, I don't think he's trying out next year for a starting job. It's it's his at that, especially at his number. Um, I think it almost makes it awkward for the Leafs. It's like you have a guy that's making that. What, what are you bringing a backup for? You bring in a guy on 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 a minimum. Do you bring in an older, an experienced goaltender? Like what what do you do then? Do you bring in two really good goaltenders and you have three options next year? I bring in so, a guy that I trust to play 30 or more games. I I, I need to see you, it and then from who, Jack. Who are you, you going to find for less than what Campbell makes? That's that's what I mean, the awkward part. It's you're going to have your starting goaltender make less than, than everybody else. Yeah, I think Jack, it's... Jack's the nicest guy on the planet, man. He's just happy to be there. And and honestly, Zig, like he's he's played 20-plus games this year. I the think the pressure I'm telling you right now, the pressure is on him. And yes. He'd be lying if he said he didn't feel it. If you want, You're, if you want a contract in your career worth four to five million dollars a year, this playoff is going to pave the way for Jack Campbell to secure that at some point. If he doesn't have well, a good playoff, it might revert. I, I'm not going to say he's necessarily a backup for life, but but he's trending back that way. This is a this is the this is the mark for him. He's pushing thirty. He has a good he's, playoff. He's setting himself up. And it's uh, yeah, it's not, and it's not just a good. It's lots of goaltenders go on good playoff runs. Do they sign nice contracts? But they don't go on to these, you know, illustrious career like Matt Murray in Ottawa. Yes, he's made him. He's made money now, and he's signed a, a decent contract. But it just you don't have a good playoff run, and then all of a sudden you have a great career. For Jack Campbell, 
it's he needs the this playoffs is going to be to verify that he's the guy. That's my point. Yeah. So you you the playoffs is going to be for for Jack Campbell is yeah I come into the regular season I'm I rifle off eleven in a row I win seventeen games but there's still going to be question marks I'm somewhat later on in my career I should have been better than I was earlier. And we saw him post game when he broke the record, right? Or when he, it was that game. And after he won what four in a row, he was like almost in tears on the bench saying, you know, I, I've been thinking about this moment for 10 years since I've been drafted, right? Nine years. And it's hard to get to that point. And for some players, it happens right away. Some, it happens after a couple years of experience, some it doesn't come to later on. The problem is, is that most players later on in their career, they don't have that chance. Some guys don't have that chance after four or five years. Once you go from prospect to suspect, you may be traded from the team that drafted you. You get this chance in that second team. And then usually it's over. Jack Campbell's held on to his career because there's something there. And he finally found it. The issue for Campbell is that as good as this little run has been for him, he still has to go out and have a good playoff because if it's an average or poor performance from him or he lets – if they lose in the first round or if if, if somehow Anderson gets the net back from him, it's, you're gonna ha- there's going to be question marks around him again. The guy, it's going to be, okay, well, yeah, pandemic year. He came in, played when Anderson wasn't playing well, but I still don't see him as a number one because he couldn't do it in the playoffs, and he's never done it in the playoffs. And that's the issue for me with with Campbell. Yeah, and I so I agree with everything you said, and and I get back to my point. If he has a very good playoff run, he is, as you said, the number one goaltender starting next season, and then he's got to show them that he can be the guy for 50, 55 games. So this is this this coming playoffs, which start tomorrow night paves the direction that he he will go here. The opportunity to be the number one guy next year in a UFA season, and then you got to go out and perform. If he stumbles, as you said, question marks again. And I hope he's not dwelling on this and thinking about all of this. Like, he's made some money in his career. He's, he's made more money than I'll ever see. Um, but But in terms of really setting himself up for life, and establishing himself as a number one and maybe getting a contract of some term with some significant dollar on it, his performance starting tomorrow night is is going to dictate a lot of that. It, it It's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be fun to watch, especially with all the hurdles that he's overcome. I don't know if you've noticed, Siggy, the Blue Jays are pretty good. Best team in the AL East. You heard it Look, here first. <laughs> I know st- I know they're not at the top. What are they half game back still? Yeah, but they got game one at- one fewer loss than Boston. I know, I know, I know. So what I mean Boston's a good team. They they've they're better than everyone thought. Um I'm trying to compare them to a team in the NHL who wasn't supposed to make the playoffs and and kind of got in and I know the Red Sox are a long way from from getting in the playoffs and there's a lot of games to be played still where we a quarter of the way through the season, but this Red Sox teams, I, I think they're legit. I think, I think it's Toronto. I think it's then 
the Jays, and then I think it's Tampa Bay and and the Yankees right now for that third spot in the AL East. And until I see more games, until I see more of the rotation from the Yankees, you know, outside of Garrett Cole, I mean, who they really have. That's just supposed to be a bullpen team as well. And the thing about the Jays is they're doing it with all these obstacles to start their season. Their best player is not even playing. Their bullpen's done better than everyone thought, and they're doing it without a full rotation. And how many injuries? They're top three in the league in man games lost this year up until last week. So, yeah, this this team, this team's fun to like. I, I'm not even watching the full game. Like once they handle that after what four innings, I'm like, this is over. I know they stumbled last Sunday, week against the yeah, Phil- yeah. Phillies, <laughs> whatever. They say, yeah, we got a little interesting, but I don't know. I'm watching that game. Rio on the mound. He's he's dealing. You know, he. I mean, he has he has guys guessing. Like they don't even know some really good hitters. Like that's a good. That's a good. He has no tendencies. Good order. Yeah, he put on an absolute clinic. I thought, you know, the Jays had had, had grown their lead. It was four nothing at the time, and Bo Bichette, who had a couple of hiccups at shortstop last night, uh, kicked a baseball to I want to say start the fifth inning. If I'm off by an inning, forgive me. And Kike Hernandez, the leadoff hitter, reaches base safely on the on the E6 on the uh, Bichette air. Well, Verdugo, J.D. Martinez, and Xander Bogarts are two, three, four in the Boston lineup. And Verdugo had already taken Ryu for a single and a double at that point in the game. He bounces back. He strikes out Verdugo. He strikes out J.D. Martinez, who's one of the premier power bats in baseball, and Xander Bogarts, who's one of the best shortstops offensively and defensively in baseball. He gets a lousy, lazy pop out, out, uh, up out of him. He bails his shortstop out, keeps the game under control, and the Blue Jays sailed from there. That, as I said, was an absolute clinic from Ryu, and it was his best start of the season so far, and his season already has been very, very good. That right there, we we talk about goaltending in hockey all the time. That right there last night from Hyunjin Ryu was exactly what an ace does. Exactly what an ace does. His contract's a steal right now in the in the American League. It's the it's if I don't know who even comes close to Ryu's contract right now. It's it's the steal. It's the steal of the league. I, there's no one else even close. Um, the only part, the only issue with Ryu and what you have there in a number one is that we don't know who number two and three is and four and five is up in the air. Like there's no set rotation. And it's sad when you have a Cy Young contender. What do you finish in voting last year? Third. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know who's better than him right now. Maybe Cole. I mean, give it to Cole. So he's the second best pitcher right now. And it's just tough when you have a guy like that leading off your rotation. And what do you have to follow it? It's it's still there for, for the Jays to figure out. And imagine if they did have a rotation right now. What would we be saying? It would be not even a question in the AL East. And we'd be talking about how they stack up against the best in, in Major League Baseball. I still think that conversation is going to happen soon. I just, I need more guys back from injury. I need to see 
what the rotation looks like. I need to see more games. I need to see Springer in the lineup. I need to see more games out of Bo. Um, you know, I know Vladdy's legit and, and one of the best power hitters in the league, but this Jays team's exciting to watch. Last night's another good example of, you know, the pressures on them when they're going against this AL East and how do they stack up against the Red Sox who've come in this year and have done what no one's expected them to do. And they're still 25 and 18 at this point, but the Jays are right there and a couple more games against them. I, I don't want, I just don't want to say too much because what happens when we talk them up in that first game, usually when I talk them up, they come back and lose the next one or the next two. So I just want to be careful. I'm not going to blame you if they lose tonight. I mean, Ross Stripling <laughs> is pitching. I like this from a 519 number texting to 590-590. Literally every time Gritchick comes to the plate or makes a play in the outfield or even just gets on camera, all I hear in my head is... <laughs> my boy Randall. <laughs> I mean, Randall Gritchick... Two hits, two RBIs. Come on, man. They hit a home on. run late in the game. Yeah, they, I know, they, I know. Nice little Phil Kessel home run there, eh, Pat? The stats when you're uh, already in a blowout game. You like All that? right, is that... guys, have a great day. Yeah. Great <laughs> is that day. is that is that allowed? Are you allowed to hit home runs? You're certainly. Like, what, like, what were they up at the time by six? Or... Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Tony, okay. La, Tony LaRusso would have pitched a fit, I'm sure. Uh... But we, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. We got to get into Kyle Lowry and, and what he had to say uh, yesterday as he met the media. By the way, Masai Ujiri, the Raptors president, will address the media. Our understanding is it's now 10 o'clock this morning. We will carry that live here on Sportsnet 590. The fan, more talk of the Jays. Big win last night against the Red Sox. Jack Campbell, it starts tomorrow night. It starts tomorrow night. It's also the it's also the future for him, not just the now, but also the future Although I would imagine Leafs fans would appreciate if he just focuses on the present. The mayor of Toronto, John Tory, in about five minutes' time. 905 number saying Jack Campbell equals Andrew Hammond. Jeez, I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't book that either. I'm going to have to start calling him the camp burglar. <laughs> he better not play like the camp burglar. But Ottawa gave like Hammond like a three-year contract. They're, Ottawa went on a run there where they just they got good goaltending from somebody for like 12 games and then handed out three-year contracts like like they were candy. I guess that's why Ottawa is where they've been uh, for the last few years. Uh, Jeff Merrick coming up at 735. The mayor of Toronto, as we said, John Tory at the top of the hour. He will join us. We'll talk about the bet he's made with the mayor of Montreal. We'll get into the COVID situation. And are there ways as Leafs fans that we can responsibly and safely celebrate what is going to be a very long playoff run? We'll ask the mayor next. Jeff Merrick will be along in about a half hour and uh, we'll continue to tee up game one of the Leafs and Habs tomorrow night. The here and now and the future for Jack Campbell. 
Worlds collide. Ziggy, I I think this is Jack Campbell's opportunity to really solidify A, the number one job next year, which B, would put him in a position to perhaps secure a long-term contract if he goes out and performs next year. That's a lot to think about for Jack Campbell. He should probably just worry about game one. Uh, But bigger picture, it could mean a lot to him how he performs over the next few weeks here. Will we in any way be able to uh, responsibly celebrate together? Distanced, I I know the Raptors last year had the Echo Beach Jurassic Park watching on a a big screen and you could do the drive-in type thing, stay in your car, but be around fellow Raptors fans. Does the city of Toronto have any plans uh, to, to do responsible celebrating of this Leafs playoff run? To get into that and... I don't know, maybe we'll pin him down for a prediction. Here he is, the 65th Mayor of Toronto, uh, John Tory. Mr. Mayor, good morning. How are you? I'm good, and, and more importantly, lifelong, like literally lifelong Leaf fan, and uh, that's a lot of years. So, oh. uh, But, yeah, so I, and, I, and I, I got Leafs in six, and I, I, people will say I'm a pessimist in saying that, but, you know, Montreal, they've got a great tradition behind them and a great fan base, and they've got a you know a team that's the underdog, and that counts for something. But I, the Leafs will still take it. Okay, so just let me jump in here because our poll question on Twitter this morning is, now that the Habs have announced or the province of Quebec has announced that 2,500 fans will be allowed at the Bell Centre for Game 6 because restrictions will ease on May 28th, we're asking when will the next time the Habs actually have fans in the stands be? Is it game six? Is it next season? Or is it in the second round? You're saying it's going to be game six. See, I think it's going to be next season. I think the Leafs can walk well, them. I, look, I, I hope you're right. And, you know, you might remember, you're too young to remember, but, uh, well, not, not for these. The last two times in the 42 years ago, uh, we, we were swept 4 nothing by the Canadians. So we've got some uh, making up to do uh, on that, and that'll motivate our team, I'm sure, too. So, you know, look, I hope you're right. I hope it is in five or four. But uh, regardless, uh, we're going to be going on to the next round. That's what I think. And, uh, you know, uh, we've, got a, we've got a team that uh, this is a team more so than many over all the years. And I've heard, uh, you know, these discussions about our, our fair many years. Of course, we didn't make the playoffs, but the years we did, there was always um, that sense we were the team of destiny. But if you look at the talent we've got, you look at uh, how they finished the season, uh, you know, how they went through the season. Uh, there's a lot of reason to believe in them for uh, for 2021. So what's the bet that you have with the mayor of Montreal? What uh, I'm I'm seeing little things come out right now. I see there's some food involved in the bet obviously there's the the hanging of the flag how did you decide on the terms how did it come about well i spoke to her on the telephone and normally i don't make bets on the first round because you know you can get sort of a bit boring with all these bets but this one because of the toronto montreal rivalry and because it's the first time in 42 years which i think really is a big deal for you know for hardcore hockey fans um, I decided I would have a bet with her, and so um, it's the usual. I mean, it's well, I mean, come on, food and beer—that's an essential. I mean, because uh, winning, winning makes you thirsty and hungry. And so, in my case, I'm being an optimist about that. She's going to send me some uh, fine Montreal craft beer, and she's going to send me some smoked meat sandwiches, and we'll uh, have her then raise the maple leaf flag in front of Montreal City Hall. And there's bragging rights too. But uh, and then we also make some donations to charity. But it's pretty standard fare. But uh, I just thought it was important to be in touch with her and to uh, tell her that we had some making up to do for some of those losses uh, 40 years ago. Schwartz's? Is that? It'd be okay, uh, yeah. I mean, everybody who's been to Montreal has been to Schwartz's, and if, they, if she sent Schwartz's uh, smoked meat sandwiches, I'd be very happy with that. Yeah, you won't turn them down. John Torrey is the uh, 65th no. Mayor of Toronto. This is leadoff. Sportsnet 590, the fan.
So th- this is, um, I-, I think, the Leafs and, and how we can responsibly try to celebrate this run together is is actually a, a, a micro of the of the macro, Mr. Mayor, which is, of course, outdoor activities generally are not available to to people right now. Are there ways being considered? The, the Raptors had a an Echo Beach Jurassic Park last year, drive-in style. You could watch the game on a big screen. You could be around others, but properly distanced in your cars, et cetera. Is the city considering anything uh, in the hopes, of course, that the Leafs move along here, considering anything that could could get people together in a safe and responsible way? Not as of this moment, but that is, <clears throat> pardon me, that's not to say it can't happen. I'm just saying that as of the moment, we have a stay-at-home order in place, and of course, it literally wants people to stay at home. And while you could, you know, theoretically be within be within the sort of health guidelines by staying in your car and doing what we did at some of those drive-ins and things last year, uh, right now, we still want people to stay at home. Now, the province says they're reconsidering all of that, and they're looking at putting out some kind of a reopening schedule, which will be effective well before the end of the playoffs. And so, uh, on the hopes that we were right, that the Leafs are going to go into the playoffs uh, deep uh, and that that means that the reopening will have begun uh, hopefully by then uh, there's a possibility we could do some of that sort of thing but for the moment we are encouraging people to watch the game at home and uh, you know if you start making arrangements to have people come here or come there whether they're in their cars or not you're going against that so until the province uh, changes those rules we'll um, you know be standing down in terms of uh, other activities to organize but we're we're talking about it. So we have the hashtag active TO and it's been the big initiative in the city on getting out and, and being active. Um, but at the same time, the province has shut down all golf, tennis and, and basketball courts. How challenging has that been working with the province and deciding what's best for the city versus, you know, what your what the mandates are from the provinces? What's that whole the, what's the last, I guess, four or five weeks been like? It's kind of a nightmare because, uh, you know, you know that whatever you do with restaurants and indoor and outdoor dining, whatever you do with uh, people uh, able to get their hair cut or not, whatever you do with uh, outdoor activities, including uh, the sports that you mentioned, there are going to be some people that think it's right and other people that are very upset about it. And so, uh, you know, you take it uh, kind of day by day. It is a provincial order that affects most of that. Um, I think that what they did when they put the order in place originally was uh, justified by the fact that the case counts, you know, it was just like three weeks ago we were in an emergency in our healthcare system where literally the hospitals were being overrun with people and that was not you know months and months ago so what i heard this week though and i listened very carefully to the words spoken by you know people in public life and i heard the health minister saying that uh, you know these uh, restrictions on things like golf and tennis could be lifted by june 2nd which is the date the order expires and then she said or sooner and and people don't add the words or sooner by accident i mean they add it if they're genuinely thinking about doing something sooner so you know i guess everybody's got their fingers crossed because the health people certainly in all their discussions with me and all their public comments I mean they make it very clear that things you do outside uh, are uh, certainly less risky than things you do inside Um, and so people should just keep getting vaccinated keep following the rules and keep their fingers crossed that uh, you're going to get a sort of simple straightforward reopening plan for post June 2nd and that maybe some good things could happen before that. With the mayor of Toronto John Tory on leadoff Sportsnet 590 the fan this is a kind of a blanket question. Would you describe yourself, Mr. Mayor, given everything that we've been through, and people are frustrated, and we're seeing it on the text lines right now, but as we sit here today and understanding that you're in high-level meetings, would you consider yourself optimistic that we are past the worst of this? Yes, 
very optimistic. And I think the key to this has been uh, the vaccinations. And, you know, we've done very well as a city. I mean, as of today, we've vaccinated 1.792 million doses, which is a lot. And we're heading towards, you know, getting 70% of our population by the end of this month done, 70% or more, done with their first dose. And then we're starting up with the second uh, doses. And so that really is going to provide a huge degree of protection. Um, you know, you'll hear our medical officer of health expressing very genuine concern about the uh, so-called uh, Indian variant, the one that's come from India, and the fact that with mobility, even now, with uh, fewer planes and so on, there are people moving around the world. And so you have to keep your eye on these ca- on these kinds of things. But yes, and, and by the way, I'm a big optimist about Toronto, too. For, I know people are frustrated they're listening, and people are fed up and all those things. So am I in some respects. Um, but, uh, you know, Toronto is, even during the pandemic, and we've had great success with our sports teams. Look at MJs last night. Look at the, the Leafs uh, going into the playoffs and so on. The Raptors had a bit of a letdown this season, but they're entitled to that after the big win. But more, you know, as much as sports, I mean, there have been new companies coming from around the world to locate here during the pandemic. Um, We've got all the good bones here, the good people and smart people. So people should have hope that I think really, um, you know, uh, the the worst days are by far behind us, but we still have just a little more to do, uh, you know, to get the rest of the way there. It's like having, you know, having uh, your your game in good shape with, you know, three minutes to go. You still got to get through those three minutes. And we've got to do that, too. We've got to finish up with the vaccinations. We've got to follow the rules for a little while longer. Um, you know, and, and I, I really do think things are going to be much better by the sort of real summer, you know, when we get into uh, the, the sort of summer months. All right. A couple things before we let you go. You're, you're rocking the flow these days. Are you going to keep, and we know we're under a stay-at-home order, but presuming that that lifts before the Leafs are out, are you going to keep it growing until the Leafs either hoist the cup or are eliminated? Well, you know, well, you know, I hadn't even thought of that. But when you're in my line of work, I mean, if they're comparing you to the Queen and Beethoven, this is a better crowd. This is a better crowd of company that I'm normally compared to. So, you know, you don't want to keep that going for a bit. And I, I hadn't thought of the uh, I, I hadn't thought of the uh, the uh, reason to keep it growing, but you just gave me one. It was like a playoff beard. I could grow one of those too, although my beard wouldn't be uh, much good compared to compared to some others. But uh, so look, we'll see. I mean, I'm I'm certainly the plans are when the barber shops reopen. I've really done this out of uh, solidarity and loyalty to the guys that have cut my hair for you know decades, guys and gals. There's a, a place I've gone to for the longest time. So we'll see. Last one for you. Uh, who's your all-time favorite Leaf? I would have to say it's a. I, I'm not sure. I haven't picked one, but I would say, and these are old time uh, Leafs. But uh, Dave Keon. I mean, he was always a guy, for example, who you know put 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 a lot of goals uh, on the board, but also won the Lady Bing Trophy. I think at least once, and so he was a sort of gentlemanly player. Uh, Tim Horton had a lot of grit. Uh, Frank Mahovlich, Eddie Shack. I loved him when I was a kid. I mean, when they'd send Eddie Shack out in the ice, electricity went through Maple Leaf Gardens in those days because you just knew something crazy was going to happen. So I liked him for entertainment. Uh, Mahovlich was, you know our big star back in those days. Uh, and then I've had some of the more modern day Leafs that I've got to know, which was different. I didn't know Frank Bovlich or Tim Horton or any of those people when I was a kid. But I do know, you know, Daryl Sittler, just as such a decent man and such a, you know, wonderful hockey player. Um, you know, I, so a lot, I don't know, it's hard to know. But, I mean, I'm picking the ones from the old days. I could even tell you their numbers, you know, because when I was a kid, like every kid, you sort of know all those players by heart. And uh, so those are probably the ones I would name. We'll leave it there. Uh, we're counting on the Leafs having a run here, Mr. Marin. We'll certainly be catching up with you whenever there are uh, good reasons we're to update. raising the flag update. at City Hall today to, to cheer them on. So, uh, yep, we're, we're, we're there, and when we get into the next rounds, we'll come back for a visit. You bet. Look forward to it. All right. Bye, guys. Thanks. John Tory is the mayor of Toronto, the 65th mayor of Toronto. Hugh Burl jumps in for the panel.
conversation. There you go. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, he wants, he wants things open, right? Too. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I, like, I, I like the fact that he's put him really on the optimistic about it too. I mean, that's, yeah. we, we haven't heard, we haven't heard that word in relation to this in a long time. So it's, it's well, nice to hear that. The numbers are good, right? Like, yeah. weren't the numbers, haven't they been good the last they've two been days? Dipping. Trending down. Yeah. yeah they're, di- sure. they're dipping and, and people are getting vaccinated and it's, I, I think this, I don't think, I know this. It is really hard to sit down and watch NHL playoff games, to watch NBA. <laughs> Vegas yesterday. And see people. <laughs> yeah. See people together celebrating, freaking out. Like, Hugh, Ziggy and I were joking yesterday. If the Carolina Hurricanes, and what the, they had 12,000 12, for game yeah. one against Nashville. People would mock that if, if in real life, like if it was a normal time, 12,000 for a playoff game, you're 6,000 short of a sellout. What the hell is wrong with you? Yeah. But 12,000 right now looks like a full house and sounds like a full house. So it just really, it feels like we're stuck in a stone age in this. Yeah. Thing. I, I wonder. So it's hard to see yeah. the end of the road. I wonder if the Leafs get into the second round, will they entertain the idea of having fans? How can we even I know. No. Yeah. But Quebec is doing it. I mean, what, why, I we, why I, not I, Ontario? Yeah. Why not? Well, well, I think we should start with outdoor activities first before we start talking about filling up a building. As much as I want fans in for a Leafs game, if I'm not allowed to go and play tennis with someone 50 feet away from me outside, how are you going to allow people in, in to an indoor sporting event? I, 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 I agree with is you. That, is that crazy? Yeah. I, and, and the cases are going like they're 1500 the other day. There's 14 million people in Ontario and there's been 1500 cases. I just, I, at, don't at, make me w- do math. W- w- yeah. At what point though? Like what, like where do you guys need to see the cases below a thousand below 500 zero? What's well, right. It, 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 if you're, if you're waiting for zero, then you're going to be waiting years. Well, but I think the yeah. point, I think the point on yeah. the June 2nd thing and, and, the mayor did say that some outdoor activities could open s- sooner. I mean, that yeah. was that was reflected in some comments yesterday. But I think the June second date is ride this out to get the numbers down because if you reopen too early and yeah. people start transmitting again, then then all of a sudden we're back yeah. into some kind of fourth wave and we're all going insane and, and, again. Yeah, no, but nobody wants another lockdown after this. Oh, of course it's, not. It's, it's, well, nobody wants no. one now. No. So nobody wants one now. Suck it up until June second, and you know we'll we'll get through this. But yeah, optimism. Love that word. Like I, I just you know, the, the Leafs being where they are. I know it was a tough year for the Raptors. They're not in the playoffs, but like you're watching these Jays as well. They're quarter of the way through their season. This team, and again, there are three quarters of a season to play, and there is a lot to figure out. There's a lot that could go right, a lot that could go wrong, go either way. It is not anywhere near out of the realm of possibility that the Blue Jays could be playing playoff baseball this year. Yeah. I and and there will be consequential September games at this pace. Whether they make it or not, there will be consequential games. There will be nail-biting nights with our baseball team in September. How nice would it be yeah. if those nail-biting nights could happen? here yeah and, and they're banking wins now which is good so if they do stumble a little bit they've got that cushion to kind of fall back on and 
I'm not sure which one of you guys mentioned it before, but they're doing this without George Springer. Like, I I, I realized that this morning as as I'm writing. I'm like, holy crap, they don't have George Springer in the lineup. And they don't have two-fifths of their starting rotation organized. Yeah. So, (laughs) hey. And they got bullpen arms that are falling off, but they keep – yeah, they keep bringing guys back from injury, or they bring in a guy up, and he's contributing. Yeah. It's 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 an incredible, incredible run that they're on here right now, and they were the much better team last night. And their pitcher, uh, their ace pitcher, Hyunjin Ryu, he's been everything. Defined that three-letter yeah. word: absolute, absolute ace. Yeah, absolute ace last night. Here is Kyle Lowry when asked about whether he expects to be returning to Toronto. You know, I think, uh, you know, the answer, I'm just going to go out here and, uh, you know, enjoy my summer, uh, train, uh, you know, get my body right, get my mind right, Um, you know, enjoy my family time, right? It's uh, it's been it's been a crazy year. It's been one of the most difficult NBA seasons I've ever had. And with all that being said, I'm kind of BSing around your question because I don't have an answer for you. I appreciate the honesty right at the end there. You just cliched, cliched, cliched. Yeah. Right? Here's how close Lowry thinks the Raptors are to contending again. The organization, the team is, is still there. It's still playing at a level. It still can play at a level of, you know, uh, championship level, right? You might, I need to add a couple pieces here and there. Uh, but, you know, with the leadership and the coaching staff and the players that, that the team has, there is it's, it's not far off. And and I feel this to be honest with you before the COVID thing, I think we were we were hitting a good stride to still get there, right? Last year we lost uh, in the bubble to a, to a great team in the Celtics, and they beat us, and and our confidence still was building off of that. So Lowry went on to say, and we will play this a little bit later on in the show, that Masai Ujiri's decision will be a big factor for him. Their relationship goes back the better part of a decade now. We we all know that. And Michael Grange is out with a piece on sportsnet.ca about Masai and then a piece about Kyle Lowry. Is it in your mind a fait accompli that Masai Ujiri is coming back? Like I no. I am not going to believe that Masai Ujiri is back until we get word that Penn is on paper. No, it's not a fait accompli that he's back. Uh, in In my opinion, I mean... It's only, it's never going to reach that pinnacle as it did a couple of years ago when the Raptors won the championship. Anyone who thinks this team is going to win an NBA championship in the next few years, no, they're not. They're a good team. They're they're a playoff team, sure. Okay, you're a playoff team. Uh, 16 teams are playoff teams. Only one team wins. Yeah, except right? he pulled the Kawhi trade out of his, Yeah, you know what? I yeah. mean, if there's something else like that out there that's a differentiator, so I don't know if you can and ever say never, but yeah. I do. I do think he traded for a guy who didn't want to really, really didn't want to be yeah, on the but team he, wanna, he was. Came here and he won a championship, yeah, and then bolted and, the first chance he got. Uh, you know, I think I think he came closer to staying. I don't. I think I don't he came closer ever staying. I here. think he came closer no. to staying than he thought he would when the trade first happened. He may have given it an inkling of a thought, but. He he was never staying here. Like in the cold light of day, he he was never staying here. That that's what I believe. That's absolutely what I believe. I just wonder, Ziggy, with with Masai, if part of the appeal is we had a down season, we still have a core here. 
if there if there's a challenge in building or trying to build this thing back up. Yeah, and I the the thing with with Kyle is I think he wants to stay. I think he likes the guys on the team. He likes the room. But there's no way he's, they're going to give him the money that he wants, though, Ziggy. No way. And he, in his comments, he said money talks. There's no way they can pay him what he wants. Yeah, so they he wants to stay, and he loves the room. I think he his relationship with Nick Nurse goes a long way. I think it's going to matter. I think that will trump what he what he'll get paid. I, I think if it's not a significant amount that somebody's going to pay him, like if somebody doesn't come and offer, a, like if it's a, a matter of a couple million dollars, I don't see Kyle going somewhere else. Why would you jeopardize what you have in the because, room? Because and he wants really- to win a championship again. And it, it, are the Raptors going to win the championship in three years? In the next three years? Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, no. So- they're not. They're, they're not going to. So yeah, so so he wants his money and he wants a championship. Well, you can have one one or the other. That that's the that's the way I see. You can have one or the other, or you can have both. You know, with somebody else. Well, maybe maybe unless there again, there's a magic bullet out there that that Masai Ujiri has the ability I'm not to as fire. Optimistic as you get. Uh, Jeff Merrick coming up on the other side. Jack Campbell. It starts tomorrow night, and he's got to focus on the present. He's got to focus on the now. But if he has a great playoff, he'll go into next season as the number one goaltender in the final year of his contract. And that could lead to a really nice season, which could lead to a really nice contract. There's a lot of time between point A tomorrow night and point C, a long-term extension. I get that. But this will be a defining few weeks and hopefully a couple of months in Jack Campbell's career. We'll get into that and all of the action that is already underway. Jeff Merrick, next. Sheldon Keith, how difficult was it to decide on Jack Campbell for game one tomorrow night? When you reference it being a difficult decision, you know, it certainly was a difficult decision just because of the respect that we have for Frederick Anderson and, and his capabilities as a goaltender and his experience that he brings. Yeah, not difficult because you just look at the fact that Jack Campbell has really taken advantage of his opportunity here and, and has really played extremely well, gotten great results. He gained uh, traction and confidence himself as a number one goaltender. So was it difficult or not difficult? Yeah, not difficult. Not difficult. Not difficult. Jeff Merrick is one of the hosts of the NHL on Sportsnet, one of the hosts of Hockey Central at noon here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and you hear him on 31 Thoughts, the podcast, alongside Elliot Friedman. He is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. So, Jeff, I know that Jack Campbell can't be thinking about this, but we can because we're not the ones under pressure to perform starting tomorrow night. If I'm Jack Campbell and I have a good playoff, 
I'm the number one goaltender heading into training camp with the Toronto Maple Leafs next year. And if I'm the number one goaltender and I have a pretty good season where, say, I start 50 to 55 games, I could be in line as an impending UFA for a pretty nice contract as I close in on my 30th birthday. A lot from point A tomorrow night to point C a year and a bit from now, but bigger picture for a guy who's struggled to establish himself in the NHL. What's about to happen here is huge for him one way or the other. Absolutely. So it didn't happen for him in Dallas, didn't happen for him in Los Angeles. Uh, We all know he's a former first-round draft pick coming out of the Sioux. Um, It's taken a while to get there, but, I mean, first of all, it is a very Maple Leaf conversation to, on the eve of the playoffs, start talking about how a decision a year from now is going to affect the Toronto Maple Leaf salary cap situation because another player may be due for a a hefty raise, but such is the nature uh, in Toronto. But you're right, like, this, this begins... Um, do we call it the final test here for Jack Campbell? Like he's been able to do it during the regular season in the most challenging regular season the NHL has ever seen for players, coaches, GMs, executives, etc. Um, now this is the this is this is one of the the final tests here for Jack Campbell. Can he do it in the playoffs where other goaltenders have failed? Like you're starting to see, like to your point, Scotty, you do start to see now what the next phase of his career is. And we don't have anything to go on here for Jack Campbell. Like, we don't have a track record of playoff performance for Jack Campbell to look at and say, this is going to be the expectation. This is the goaltender you're going to get. So as much as Sheldon Keefe might say, oh, no, it was an easy decision, not a problem, there still are question marks because at the end of it, we still don't know what Jack Campbell is going to be like come Thursday in, uh, in, in game one against the Habs. Yeah, do you think it's tough on Keith to kind of handle Anderson? You have a guy that you've relied on so much, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we have this. Like, is it is it more about Campbell playing well, or the fact that Freddie just hasn't been good and has been injured? Like, I, I don't think it's that difficult of a decision to start Campbell, but you don't want to disrespect Freddie at the same time. Yeah, but at the same time, you can't put you know disrespecting a, a veteran goaltender over the um, you know over the uh, the the needs of the team. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm, I've. I do understand the idea that you never let a you never let a player injure himself out of the lineup. I understand that philosophy. That's always mm-hmm. worked well in, in dressing rooms, but in a situation like this, like you, you just go with the hot guy. And as much as I talked about how there's not a track record um for Jack Campbell, there is for Frederick Anderson. Um and listen, we've we've talked about this for, for a long time now on how the Maple Leafs feel about Frederick Anderson and where they're at with Frederick Anderson. And I think at at some point this season, we had the conversation about, you know, this will probably be the season where the Maple Leafs give Jack Campbell every chance to become the number one goaltender. Like the minute that there's a speed wobble from Frederick Anderson, they're going to hand this thing to Jack Campbell and see what's there. You know, as I mentioned, Dallas didn't do it. L.A. didn't do it. There were goaltenders in front of him. Here's an opportunity for Jack Campbell. Uh, And after they made the trade with the Los Angeles Kings, um, you said, okay, it's not going to be right now because Frederick Anderson is still their guy. But I think we all thought in the back of our minds, I wonder if they're going to give him some runway here. I wonder if they're going to give him a chance, give him a stretch of games, give him some opportunities to see if there is a potential number one netminder in there. And so far, 
it looks like there's a number one regular season netminder in Jack Campbell, but this is the next big test. But make no mistake about it. This is about the play of Jack Campbell, not the play of, of Frederick Anderson. He has, you know, he's really turned heads this year with the uh, with the Maple Leafs organization. Well, we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we didn't wake you up early and put you on the spot. So sure. And, and remember, I mean, you're speaking to a cross country audience here, here Jeff. So you, you you better be careful. So the troll poll this morning with the announcement that the Habs will be allowed to have some fans, up to 2,500, in the mm-hmm. stands for their home games after May 28th, the next time the Habs will actually host fans, is Game 6, May 29th versus the Leafs, next season, or in the second round? It'll be next season. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to let that one marinate and breathe a little bit. That is... 68% of respondents agree with you, and so do I. This is... Leaps in five. Yeah. This, like, when you look at, like, no matter what model you look at for how you predict games, no matter whether it's just, I'm um, just looking at the uh, the hockey card stats or I'm looking at the uh, the advanced metrics on anything, like, every model that you look at says, this should be like Colorado-St. Louis, like this should this should be a an, I don't want to say easy series, but this should be a series that the Maple Leafs win handily. This one should be the series where if a team has a long playoff run, you say somewhere along the way you need the gimme series where you don't burn yourself out. That should be this series for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, as we all know, playoffs, weird things happen. Goalies get hot. Um, shooting percentages for, for elite-level teams uh, can go cold pretty uh, pretty quickly. Things happen in the playoffs. We all know that. But any model that you look at, other than one that's just ruled by your heart and you know, a Montreal Canadiens fan will say, like, I just can't believe Montreal can, can lose to Toronto because, I don't know, ghosts of the forum or something. Um, every model you look at says this one should be a relatively easy series for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It should. Now, if they lose game one, <laughs> all of a sudden. See, that's why. See, there's a, there's, a, there's a couple of different. I was talking to someone about this last night. Even if, like, if you're an agent of, of chaos, and one of the great things about this playoff so far this season, um, the games have been chaotic. The outcomes not haven't necessarily been chaotic, so we haven't seen that yet. There hasn't been the in-game. There have been wonderful moments of shifting momentum and lead changes and big explosive plays. But at the end of it, like if you miss a game and you just read the summary the next day and watch the highlights on Central, you say, okay, that's kind of the way I thought it would go. We haven't seen a whopper of an upset game yet. If Montreal wins game one, I'm not saying they're going to, Leafs will lose the series, but just as an agent of chaos, what do you think happens to this city? Well, it'll make Friday morning interesting on this program. That's for sure. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's oh I mean, we're, listen, we, all, we we cheer for whatever makes our job easiest. Four right, lines Scott? are <laughs> open at 416 I am not cheering for the Leafs. I'm not cheering for the Leafs to lose game one. Oh, my goodness. Scotty on Friday morning. Oh, man. Just win, panic, win, panic win and phone calls, baby. Yeah, Win the series, but lose the opener in the process. Oh, Friday morning. Friday morning what were you surprised to see Keith and company I guess pretty relaxed and stress-free kind of like what do you prefer out of your team if you would you would it be the 
you know, let's get worried. This is going to be a tough series. They they haven't been good, but they're built for a playoff team. Or do you rather mm-hmm. the Keefe and Joe Thorne? I, hey, I got no stress. This is where, where we need to be. Like, is it – do you think when you hear Keefe talk about how stress-free it is, is because – he can't be more prepared or is it just the fact that he doesn't see Montreal having a chance against the Leafs now you know this a lot better than I do Ziggy you played um there are just some teams at the beginning of the year that can't wait for the regular season to be done there Mm -hmm. are no regular season answers left for that team all the answers begin in the playoffs um you know the Vancouver Canucks once upon a time were that team um the Colorado Avalanche are that team the Carolina Hurricanes now are that team and the Toronto Maple Leafs are now that team like the regular season like it it we think it established a new number one goaltender um you know it it established a new you know Rocket Richard trophy you know perennial candidate and Austin Matthews further cemented um elite level status on a player like like Mitch Marner but but really as far as team goes not a whole lot of answers left for the Toronto Maple Leafs in the regular season. Honestly, I think that getting to the playoffs, like Toronto just needed to get through the regular season. Mm-hmm. No matter how you got there, just get through it because all your answers are there. Washington's another great example. Yeah, Washington, Washington was that team. It's like, just get through the regular season. Like, just get to the playoffs because that's where all the answers are. And I, I think that there's, I think that there's, it's going to sound weird. I think that there's just some relief around the, the the Maple Leafs organization because finally this is what we were here for all season long. Not that the regular season doesn't mean anything, but really when it comes down to it, all the Maple Leafs are going to be judged on is what happens in the postseason. doesn't matter what happens in the regular season. Like that's where they're at on their winning cycle. Regular season, no answers. Postseason, all the answers. Well, and the best part of it, Jeff, uh, understanding that Felino and Bogosian – Zach Hyman's come back. We'll work off the presumption if these guys are playing, they're clearly healthy enough to go, whether they're 90%, 100%, whatever. Yeah. This team is here in full. There, There is not a consequential injury at the start of game one. Oh, well, yeah, if, if we had him, you know, right. if, he, if he hadn't tore his knee up or blown his back out, that might have been the difference. This team as constructed, as Kyle Dubas Sheldon Keefe, envision it, will skate tomorrow night. Yeah. That's perfect. That's how you want it. That's how you want it. And you know what? I just mentioned the Avalanche a second ago, and this is the healthiest they've been all season long. And that's what you want. Like that's that that's what you can that's the the best thing you can expect if you're a general manager. Is my team healthy getting to the playoffs? Like the the, the other thing that I, that I forgot to mention uh, by way of getting through the regular season is get through the regular season healthy. Like injuries are always going to be a reality of a season in the NHL, whether it's a full season or a truncated season like we saw. Just get through it with as minimal damage as possible. So in a lot of ways, like you're right, like there are there's no excuses here for this Maple Leaf team. This is a healthy team. Um, this is an elite team. And this is a team um, that should not have a problem in the first round. But if they do have a problem, then there are problems for the Toronto Maple Leafs if you catch my drift. With Jeff Merrick on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. How is there a person on this planet who follows this league and this sport upset with the Tampa Bay Lightning and the salary cap situation? Salary cap doesn't exist in the playoffs. You got Mm -hmm. Nikita Kucherov back. You got Steven Stamkos back. Good for you. That's your roster. There's... 
anybody who's mad about this is just looking for something to be mad about. Yeah, I mean, if you're a Florida Panthers fan, you kind of feel a little bit burned. Um, all of a sudden, you just add, you know, an elite level player. Oh, nice. Who's oh, 86? Well. Where Where you been hiding yeah, him? Where is he? Oh, well. <laughs> I don't, yeah, Say I got. Lavi. I got. I listen. I'm with you. I got no problem with it. And you know what? I'll, I'll go you one better on that too, Scotty. You know who else doesn't have a problem with it? The NHL. Hmm. The NHL has no like. The NHL salary cap loopholes are always an interesting thing. And we think back to the Ilya Kovalchuk contract, the first one with New Jersey, um, where the league really didn't like it. Like there were backdiving deals. Mika Kiprasov was the first one, but there were, there were many after that. And then it got to the Kovalchuk situation and the NHL kind of said, technically, it doesn't violate anything in the CBA other than this vague notion of the spirit of the CBA, it went to arbitration, and the New Jersey Devils had to redo um, the Ilya Kovalchuk contract. But technically, like there wasn't anything in the CBA that that contract contravened. Same in the same way that with the Ilya, with the uh, with the situation with Nikita Kucherov here, there's nothing in the CBA that says this can't happen. He needed hip surgery, right? He like, players need surgeries every year. Was the timing of the surgery and the rehab convenient? Yes. It worked out great for Julian Breezebois. I got him out of a salary cap pickle. It's a real pretzel of a salary cap situation Tampa was going to be in. So it was convenient. I don't know that this is going to be a recurring theme. I mean, all of a sudden, is uh, does Anthony Sorelli have knee surgery and miss all of next <laughs> season? And then, like, okay, at, at that point, you kind of say, like, okay, w- what's going on here? But technically, the Tampa Bay Lightning have done nothing wrong. Like, ultimately, like ultimately, Scotty, the answer to all of this is, like, if the NHL had a problem with it, the real way to fix it is just to have a soft cap with a luxury tax. Yeah, mm-hmm. but do you see the NHL entertaining that for a millisecond? Nope, yeah. not a, not a chance. No, not happening. I, it the NHL's be, uh, yeah. the, every, the, the league is fine with it. The teams seem to be fine with it. I know Florida's the Panthers fans aren't thrilled about it, but to be blunt, no one cares. Yeah. No one cares. It's hard, and everyone just and everyone's saying, "Oh, you just missed the regular season. Get under the cap, and then bring everyone back for the playoffs." Uh, let me tell everyone trying to miss a month or two or three or five and then trying to come back and play is yeah. pretty tough to do. And there's not many Kucherovs that yeah. can pull that kind of thing that's off. A, that's a great, that's a great point. Like at least when, like we've seen this before in the NHL, like remember mm-hmm. Edmonton every yeah. year, I mean, Ray Rutzelainen would come in like at the, at the end of the mm-hmm. season for the Oilers and all of a sudden, but he was playing all year. Ron Wilson with the Minnesota nurse stars. They did that as well, but they had been playing all year. Kucherov like worked in his driveway on a shot and then and then did some rehab and jumped right back into the pool and was like an Olympic diver, not a ripple in the water. Like it was yeah. remarkable. Like I, th- I think that we're focusing so much on the salary cap implications of what happened with Kucherov and everything off the ice. And I think we're failing to really recognize how great an athlete this is that he was able to miss an entire season, come back into the lineup and as if he hasn't been gone at all, like that's how great he was from the get go. He's like he's a listen. I don't need to tell you guys. He's a special player, and he just walked yeah. right in. It was like he hadn't missed a, a single practice. Just a remarkable performance. 
Uh, just while we have you here, and, and we're a little up against it, Jeff, yep. so uh, forgive me for the broad question, but is there is there one thing we focused a lot on Jack Campbell, the Leafs, and then and got into Kucherov and the lightning cap situation. Is there anything else from the first few nights here other than just how well these games have been played mm-hmm. that has stood out to you? Oh, that has stood out to me. Um, nothing has really stood out. I mean, the intensity. Like Boston, been- Washington, somebody's going home. Tampa Bay, uh, Florida, yep. somebody's going home, probably Florida. Like, good teams are going to get waxed here. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and, you know, listen, uh, I still think that Minnesota-Vegas is a is a jump ball. Uh, Vegas needed that win last night bad. Minnesota, if if, if people have, you know, stayed up to watch their... their and now, if you've done your homework and done your watched your Minnesota-Vegas games this year, uh, boys and girls, like, these two teams, like, as far as consistently great play... Vegas and Minnesota mixes really well. All the games this year between these two teams have been the best in the NHL this season. That trend is continuing, and and hopefully now uh, people are paying attention to this is not this is not your daddy's Minnesota Wild. This is a different team, and dare I say it, Scotts, the Minnesota Wild are actually a fun team to watch. I was going to call them the North Stars just to piss off Hayden Mathewson, our assistant producer, who's a diehard Wild fan. Oh, yeah, Minnesota's got a hockey team. They had a, yeah, post-1993, they've got a hockey team. And they're uh, doing it all without Zach Parisi, who's scratched. Boom. You're right. Uh, thank you for this, pal. We'll do it again next week, and Thanks, we'll Jens. have, what, four games of the Leafs and Habs to worry about. So uh, lots to talk about. Can't wait. Thanks, boys. Be well. Jeff Merrick. Of the NHL on Sportsnet, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Hyun Jin Ryu last night, that is as good as it gets. Dan Shulman to discuss Ryu and the state of the Blue Jays' bullpen, which got a bit of a reprieve thanks to Ryu last night and the off day the day before that. Dan Shulman in a moment. And here he is, the uh, play-by-play voice on Sportsnet of the Toronto Blue Jays, Dan Shulman. So that was that was all right from Hyunjin Ryu last night, huh? <laughs> it's he okay. really is something. Like, like I hope people don't take him for granted or anything. That a guy topping out around ninety miles an hour uh, is able to do what he does. I love. Uh, I think he's my favorite pitcher in baseball to watch pitch. Like even more than a Degrom or a Scherzer or anything, because you 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 like thinking along with them, and he's not just overpowering people. You know, it's the old he's playing chess, everybody else is playing checkers, that sort of thing. He's really, really something. And and uh, last night was against the team that had scored more runs in baseball than any other team in baseball this year. And he, uh, you know, he he made them look uh, like a triple-A team most of the night. He was dominant. Well, Bo, I, I don't know exactly what he was doing on that approach to the Kike Hernandez ground ball to, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think lead off the fifth may have been the sixth. But, it, but Bo booted it. And then you've got Alex Verdugo up who'd already singled and doubled off of Ryu. And then you've got a couple of big right-handed bats in J.D. Martinez and Xander Bogarts. Like, the Jays had opened up a lead, Dan, and it could have gone back on them pretty quickly after that leadoff error. But you do what an ace does. He bounces back, twists Verdugo into a pretzel, strikes him out. Then he strikes out J.D. Martinez, and he gets a lousy, lazy pop-up from Xander Bogarts. Like, 2-3-4 in the Boston lineup right now is no joke. And to just settle it down the way that he did, that was the moment that the game was secured. That was was Boston's chance, and they they didn't have a chance. 
And that's the thing about him. It, like if his re- say his resting pulse rate is 65, it's 65 in those moments. It does not go up. You can see it. If a guy makes an error behind him, his, it, he does not start sweating. Like have you ever in, in the year plus that he's been with the Blue Jays, you know, there have been a couple of games where maybe his command is a little off. But have you ever looked out at the mound and say, boy, he's rattled right now? Like he just, that's not who he is. And what a great guy to learn from at the top of the rotation for the young guys on the staff and the young guys who are possibly going to join the staff soon. And, and, you know, I think some people wondered, and maybe with some justification, how would he translate into the American League East? Like the National League West is one thing, half your games at Dodger Stadium. And I know there's Colorado and, there, and there's Arizona, but there's also San Diego and San Francisco, good pitchers parks. So right there, like 100 of the 162 games are in good pitchers parks. This is a different animal over here in the American League East. And his stuff has translated perfectly, uh, you know, meticulously. He, he is who he is, and he has proven his stuff plays against any team in baseball. And it, it's, again, it's just like as a fan of the sport, I love watching him pitch. Uh, whether he's a Dodger or a Blue Jay, whether I'm calling the game or not, um, he's out there doing amazing things, and it's a lot of fun. Through a quarter of the way of the season now, I was trying to tell Scotty all morning that the Jays are the best in the AL East. Is this enough, that 8 nothing victory, um, for for you to confirm that? Or do you need to see more of <laughs> them in the Red Sox or more to the Yankees? Or is Tampa just good, just we haven't seen their best yet? Yeah, so we've got four teams within a game and a half on, mm-hmm. on May the 19th. And I'm not sure we'll have that on July the 19th, but I, I don't think it's crazy. So... Uh, you know, as we've discussed, Boston, I think, was better than they got credit for at the beginning, but not as good as maybe they looked at the beginning when they had the best record in baseball. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm one of these guys who believes in Tampa and says don't sleep on the Rays. Mm-hmm. Um, they have had probably the same magnitude of injuries the Blue Jays have had, uh, especially on the pitching staff, and they're going to get healthier. And they've got a couple. They've got guys who are going to come up from their farm system too, which is great. And I am not willing to say that the Rays are not going to be a factor in this race. The Yankees right now don't look great, although they won last night. They've got some injuries as well. They're an older team. They're not a great defensive team. They don't run much at all. How about this? They've got seven stolen bases and one triple the whole season. They're like 42 games in. They got seven steals and one stolen base. But you know what? If Judge and, and Stanton or, and, and LeMahieu are all healthy, they're going to be dangerous. So I think, Ziggy, it's, I really think it's got a chance to be a four-team race. And sure, the Blue Jays have a chance to be the best team. But if they're going to be the best team, uh, I think they need to really solidify the four and five spots in the rotation, whatever that may mean. Obviously, they need Springer. Uh, and uh, they need more arms in the bullpen because what the guys are doing in the bullpen right now is fantastic. But whether it's Merriweather or Barucki or Castro or all of these guys, uh, they need the they need some reinforcements. I think, and, and those are a lot of ifs. But if, if those ifs happen, sure they can win it. But I wouldn't be surprised right now if we're talking about a four team race. Right, and I, I thought the bullpen showed signs of teetering on the weekend. I'm, mm-hmm. And and Tim Mesa was the one who particularly struggled, Dan. But yeah, okay, it's Tim Mesa who struggled more so than anybody else. But the point is, is Tim Mesa. Well, he is struggling, and maybe this is what he is, but even if it isn't, he's struggling right now. The point is, is he's having to be used in certain situations because of the attrition. And so that, that gets to your, your point. 
it's helpful that Monday was an off day and then Ryu did what he did last night because the arms should be fresh, presuming they're going to be needed tonight with Ross Stripling starting, and he typically doesn't go deep into ball games. And, oh, I'm sure you noticed that Alec Manoa, who was scheduled <laughs> to pitch yesterday for the don't-call-them-the-Trenton-Thunder-Buffalo Bisons, has been pushed back to tonight, which, of course, lines him up in the Stripling rotation spot at the big league level behind Hyunjin Ryu. Do you read anything into that, or do you think we're still a bit of a ways off here before Manoa makes his major league debut. I think the answer is probably both. I mean, we could be a bit of a ways off. That depends on the results and, and, and the need, but yeah, to slide a guy one day to get him into that slot. Like, I don't think that's, you know, headline news teams do this. And, and if, if he was a day off of stripling or a day off of K and they wanted to make him, you know, fit him into that spot, they could have, they could have fit him into that spot. But you know, clearly they are thinking about bringing him up at some point. We'll see how tonight goes, and then we can all ask the questions of Charlie tomorrow and 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 see where that's at if things go well again. But yeah, they're I think they're starting to to plan, and and like Thomas Hatch is knock on wood coming too, right? If he's healthy, they want to get him fully stretched out. I believe he's eligible to come off May thirty first, somewhere around there. So. Uh, you know, we're getting close on Thomas Hatch as well. And, and, you know, putting Manoa in stripling spot to me does two things. If Manoa is going to be as good as we think he's going to be, that's great. But also to get stripling into a, you know, two or three inning relief role, uh, I, I think helps other guys in the bullpen. You know, maybe uh, Chatwood can get a day off every now and again because stripling can pick up that inning, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's a, uh, a beneficial domino effect to that happening. But listen, it, 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 if Manoa keeps pitching the way he's pitching, he's going to be a Blue Jay in 2021. That's inevitable. Whether it's next week or next month or the month after that, I don't know. But um, I think they're willing to rush the timeline a little bit if he keeps doing uh, what they're what, what he's doing because they need him. They're, they're a contending team with a need. He's a college kid. He's 23. He's ultra-confident. You know, he's checking every box you got to check right now. With Dan Schulman on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. And I did, I'm always hesitant to make too much of one game. But the, the Blue Jays were more than content last night, Dan, to take the ball the other way. And, of course, teams are shifting like mad in, in this day and age. And so there are wide open spots on the right side of the diamond for right-handed hitters. And the Jays just, like, kept kept putting it there. And when you watch Eduardo, Eduardo Rodriguez pitch, this is a guy, I don't know if that's a sinker or if it's, if it's a four-seamer with a little bit of rise on it, but certainly has that fade away from the opposite-handed hitter. It, 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 that ball has just a little bit of break on it away from a right-handed hitter, and he's precise often on the outer half of the plate. Like, you can't pull that pitch and do anything with it. So the fact that they bought into the approach they succeeded by buying into that approach. I think it portends well for a really young team because sometimes the best way to convince guys to do certain things is to have them do it and see the results. So I'll warn you in advance. I could talk for like 20 minutes about opposite field hitting and I won't, I know you've got better things coming on the show and all that, but you, I, you and Buck Martinez, you should just do like sit down and yeah. talk about it. Yeah. Throw tabby yeah, in there too. You'd go for hours. Yeah, we, we should have a, a like a thirty minute show just called "Take What They Give You" or 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 
or stay in the middle of the field. Or Oppo like taco that, with Shulman, yeah, Martinez, yeah. and Tabler. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be a taco. It can be a single. That's mm-hmm. the thing. And, and, you know, I think the last thing you said is, is the most interesting part of it to me, that it portends, which is a, a very big word for 8.03 in the morning, that it portends well uh, for what's going on. I think it's a sign of a good approach. And uh, I love it. They're shifting most guys, like you said, their holes on the right side. But even more than that, it goes back to the take what they give you. Um, you know, if a guy makes a mistake over the inner half with a breaking ball, and you're Vlad or your Bo or Gritchick or Teoscar or anybody, wail on it and hit it to left field. But Eduardo Rodriguez is nibbling at the outside corner, uh, uh, cutter to the outside corner, change up, down, and away. You try to pull a change up, down, and away, you, two things are going to happen. You're either going to hit a ground ball to third or a ground ball to short if you're a right-handed batter. Those are the only two options. If Like, look what guys do against Hunjin Ryu when they try to pull him. Remember last year when Washington faced Ryu, and, and he wasn't great that day, and they hit him hard, and they hit everything to right center field. Um, and, and I think it's great that the Blue Jay hitters, especially the young Blue Jay hitters, uh, are figuring this out. They faced, I don't know if you remember that when they played Oakland, they faced a guy named Cole Irvin, a lefty, big lefty, threw a bunch of changeups. They did not have a good approach that day. Uh, they had a very good approach against Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, and, and I think it is a great sign for the success of this team that they can score runs without home runs sometimes. I know Gritchick hit one last night, but he hit it to right field, mind you, by hitting the ball the other way. It, it opens up holes defensively. It messes up the game plan uh, of the pitcher and the catcher, and it keeps the line moving. I, I think it's great. I, I think it is the most important offensive thing for this team this year is for them to use the middle of the field, use the opposite field, quote-unquote, take what they give you. Danny Jansen was one of the best players yesterday, entering the game with a 123 average, um, but did have a couple big hits and a big walk. Actually, what is what is his like? What does numbers have to look like? How many RBIs? What do you want his average to look like for him to be, you know, a big part of this team going forward? So, I think the team internally will look at it in terms of quality of contact. You know, hard cut exit velocity and Danny's another guy he pulled everything at the beginning of the season everything and they had three guys on the left side and he didn't get the ball in the air so he was hitting the ball hard but it wasn't getting it in the air they got three defenders over there and he was an out it was just whether it was five three six three or four three um I think you know if you're talking about uh batting average and stuff like that I mean you'd like to see it in the 200s obviously but uh I think the team would look more at quality of contact uh Danny does a lot of other things well. He's a a big part of the team defensively. He's a big part of the pitching staff. Um, The other question is, too, right now you've got Reese McGuire with him. When Alejandro Kirk is healthy in July, Kirk is coming back, presumably takes McGuire's spot if there's no change then. And then you've got another factor in the equation. If Kirk's hitting 330, Kirk's going to play a ton. If Kirk's hitting 230, then Jansen's got a better chance of getting half or even more than half of the playing time. So, the other thing, too, is if or when Springer comes back, if the offense keeps rolling, if everybody else is rolling, you can live with one spot in the order where maybe you're not getting a lot. But earlier in the season, they weren't all rolling. So, so Jansen, I think it was a little bit more glaring. But if everybody else is healthy and rolling, you can live with subpar numbers down there for what he's doing defensively. With Dan Schulman on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Um, White Sox and Twins yesterday... Tyler Duffy of the 
twins hits Yerman Mercedes with a pitch gets tossed last night. This was one night after Mercedes in a White Sox blowout win swung at a 3-0 and pitch off Williams Astudio. And it should tell you all you need to know about the type of season the twins are having. The fact that I turn on Sportsnet Central every other morning and it seems that Astudio is pitching. Um, he is a catcher and like a hybrid infielder, corner infielder type. Um, the Twins are using him to pitch a lot because they're so far behind in, in so many games. It's not been a good good start. Anyway, Tony Larusa, the manager of the White Sox, was asked about Mercedes swinging 3-0 and against a position player after the game and said there will be consequences within the team we will hold him accountable as a family well mercedes gets thrown at last night and my deduction is how as a player if i'm mercedes can i believe for a moment my manager has my back when i'm thrown at the night after he makes a comment like that (laughs) i i just there's a fundamental disconnect dan between what Tony LaRussa so often seems to believe baseball is about. Keep in mind, LaRussa was unclear of the ghost runner rules in extra innings and who could be used and who couldn't just a few weeks ago. There's a fundamental disconnect between what LaRussa believes and what today's player believes. Right. This is a right. good White Sox team. This could be problematic for them. Yeah, and so obviously Tony is 76 years old and hasn't managed in a decade. So in some ways, I think he's really come into the current times and said, I get it, I embrace it, this is the way it is. But this is something, you know, you can't sit down in an interview with him in February and say, okay, so if one of our guys swings at a 3-0 pitch in an 11-run game with a position player on the mound, how are you going to feel about that? Like, it just happened, right? And Tony reacted in the moment, and he didn't like it. Um I'm not, uh, I don't fall really hard on either side of the fence, whether, hey, it's great and it's fun and it's baseball, or it was wrong for him to do that. I'm not a huge fan of position players pitching. I'm like, let's get you, this game needs to get over at this point. Like, it's, it just is. It's like, it's like taking out a goalie and you don't have a backup goal and you put a defenseman in. Like, it's just not the way the game is supposed to be played. You'll remember the Canada Day game where the Blue Jays played Cleveland five, six years ago, whatever it was. And Goins and Barney both pitched, and I think both got hurt. Both got hurt in the game. Now, that was a different game because it was a 19-inning game. But position players shouldn't pitch is, is my point. Um, but in terms of Tony not backing his player, I think he could have phrased it differently. I think he could have said, you know what, We're gonna, we'll deal with it in-house. That's all you have to say, rather than consequences. The word consequences jumps out at you. And then, like you said, they throw at him last night. And Tony says, I don't have a problem with the way that the, the twins dealt with that. And again, we're all to a certain extent a product of the time we grew up in or the time we, we have been in. And there, it, I think it's unrealistic to expect a 76-year-old guy and a 23-year-old guy to see the world exactly the same way. But I do think Tony could have phrased some things, handled some things, maybe sought some advice internally from one of his younger coaches and then you know, before he spoke to the media. But that, that's Tony, right? I mean, Hall of Famer, unbelievable resume, uh, always has spoken his mind. Um, and, you know, he's not going to totally flip into a 180-degree different guy than, he, than he's been in the past. Right. I, I just think you can disagree if you want with what Mercedes did, but you've got to have your players back publicly. You've got, 
I, yes. That's, now, I, 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 there have been other times. I'm, I'm trying to remember when it was. A year or two ago, there was a situation in baseball where a manager called out his own guy. And I, I don't think it's 100% you never call out your own guy in, in public if you think he did something wrong. I'm just not, I, I'm not sure this is the hill to die on. Because big picture, do you risk losing other guys in your clubhouse if they don't feel you've got their back? on what is, as you say, Scotty, a really good base, like a really good baseball yeah, team. So good. Um, it, it, it's interesting. But we all knew uh, there were going to be, you know, a couple of issues with a, as great as he is, as, um, you know, a guy who had managed in 10 years and 76 years old. And a, a ton has changed in baseball in the last 10 years. A ton. Um, so I, I think we all knew there would be some some hiccups here and there. We'll leave it there, Dan. Awesome stuff, and uh, we'll chat next week. It should be great. Uh, it, like, we'll be through the Red Sox series, four with Tampa Bay, and we'll be in the middle of a series in the Bronx against the Yankees that you'll be calling. Like, these yeah, are big yeah. games for the Jays. Should be fun to track. These are big games. Looking forward to getting back at it next week, and I will talk to you guys on next Wednesday. You bet. Dan Schulman, uh, play-by-play voice of the Toronto Blue Jays on Sportsnet. He's been waiting patiently. Adnan Verk. As we gear up for the Leafs and the Habs and get into uh, some of the playoff series already underway, man, Washington, Boston, tight. Vegas, Minnesota, tight. And the Islanders in Pittsburgh, tight as they switch cities uh, heading for game three. Adnan Verk in just a moment, but first, here's what we're talking about this morning on leadoff Sportsnet 590. The fan, Hyunjin Ryu, brilliant over seven innings, seven strikeouts. Blue Jays eight, Red Sox nothing. Jays are a half game back of Boston for first in the AL East. Have one fewer loss than Boston heading into game two of the series tonight. Ross Stripling, Garrett Richards, the uh, right-handed pitching matchup. It's a game you can listen to right here on Sportsnet 590. The fan and watch on Sportsnet 1, NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, Pittsburgh 2. The Islanders 1 to pull even in that series, a game apiece. Game 3 will transfer to Long Island tomorrow. Tampa Bay with a 3-1 win over Florida. They've got a two-games-to-none series lead as that series now shifts to the Gulf of Mexico side of the state, to Tampa Bay for Game 3. And Vegas on the strength of two goals uh, from Alex Tuck, his first two of the playoffs, 3-1. Vegas gets back even with Minnesota as that series gets set to shift to St. Paul. NBA playoffs, the uh, Pacers over the Hornets, 144-117. This is the play-in tournament. The Celtics beat the Wizards, 118-100. What does that mean? Boston is the seventh seed. They will play Brooklyn. The Wizards as the eighth seed will now host Indiana as the nine seed for the final playoff spot in the eastern conference the play-ins go tonight in the west you've got the spurs and grizzlies the winner of whom will play the loser are you following me of the warriors and lakers down in los angeles the winner of the warriors lakers game will be the seven seed in the western conference i think it all makes sense Adnan Verk can organize whatever uh, I missed. Here he is, uh, the play-by-play voice of WWE Monday Night Raw, works for the NHL Network, the M- MLB Network. He is the co-host of the GM Shuffle podcast with Michael Lombardi. Uh, he serves uh, fries at McDonald's. He is um, <laughs> a garbage contractor. He is, uh, I mean... <laughs> waste management, Scott. Waste management. What do you got, like two or three <laughs> more jobs this week since we last talked or what? I mean, this is uh, it's pretty impressive stuff. It's a We're nice resume. Up everything we can. 
Well, I want to get back to what I was doing in my route, so I'm going to get a paper route going just to see if I can somehow convince people to read newspapers again. That's my that's my goal right now. Deliver re- deliver yeah. iPads. <laughs> Exactly. iPad delivery man Berkey does it all. And by the way, with that cavalcade of information you gave, which was awfully impressive and a reminder of what a great sports cornucopia that we are in right now. Uh, impressive work with the geography. When you mentioned now we move to the Gulf of Mexico side of things Ooh. with Tampa Bay. Good work there on Florida. And how about the one thing nobody cares about? Flames Canucks. Thatcher Demko, 38 right. saves as the Canucks right. hold on for a 4-2 victory. Just ridiculous. Right. Somehow I left that update uh, score out of my update. Um, <laughs> oh, and they play again today, Adnan. Are you rubbing your hands together with it, with excitement there? Although there is a story to get into with, with uh, Jim Benning, who will return next year as general manager, and that's announced on the same day that Tyler Toffoli lets it out that, hey, I wanted to return to Vancouver, but the Canucks never made an offer. But you know what? We're going to ignore that. Because on our list of 100 things to talk about, it's 101. Yeah. Um, Leafs and Habs tomorrow night. Ziggy and I have been talking a lot about Jack Campbell, who, of course, will be the game one starter. And Sheldon Keith, the Leafs head coach, said, look, it was a difficult decision out of the respect we have for Freddie, but it was not a difficult decision because of the way Jack Campbell has played. So I think we'll settle on the fact that it, it was not a difficult decision at all. <laughs> I absolutely it, agree. You have to it, kind of parse the words of Sheldon Keefe. Go ahead. Right, right. And I, I mean, if you're Frederick Anderson walking into the coach's office expecting to have a conversation about this, I think anybody who walks into that expecting Jack Campbell to be anything but the starter is a complete and total lunatic. That doesn't mean Freddie shouldn't be ready. But from Jack's perspective, almost 10 years from the point when he was taken in the first round by the Dallas Stars, If he has a good playoff run coming off of the half-season run he had as this team's number one, it sets him up to be the starter next year. And if he has a good run next year, it sets him up for a contract the likes of which he hasn't seen in his decade long in pro uh, pro hockey so far. And I know you don't want to look ahead beyond tomorrow night if you're the actual goalie, but we can. This is very consequential to Jack Campbell personally. Which, the, the run that begins tomorrow night. Without question, Scotty. And I think for those who haven't been watching it day in, day out, they go, okay, Leafs are a loaded team. They, they're clearly the best team in the North Division. The only, I don't want to say question mark, but area of potential concern is goaltending. Even though Jack Campbell, as you point out, has played well. He's certainly stepped up when the moment has called for it and has overcome whatever adversity in his career to get to this point. To your original point about Sheldon Keefe and making the decision for goalie, listen, if he'd opened up with Freddie Anderson, you're really opening yourself up to second-guessing and criticism. Campbell's been the guy we've seen down the stretch for a considerable amount of time. Yes, Freddie's a veteran. Yes, he's been there before. But it's much easier to go with Jack Campbell, give him the chance to thrive, and if perhaps he stumbles, you go to Freddie Anderson and say, okay, Freddie, can you save the day? But as, as we often, so often know, fellas, goaltending is like 50% of the game, I think especially when it comes to playoff hockey. And when you look at Toronto, loaded offensive talent up front, underrated defensive core. I think they've got enough grit, whereas in the past perhaps they were lacking in that uh, area. They had a lot of finesse and, and star power, but needed a little more discipline and feistiness. They've got that now. Now it's up to Jack to, to deliver. And listen, on paper, this is just on paper, we know, but I don't know how the Leafs don't make it to a Final Four, which will be the first time in, since we all know, since 1993. But as long as Jack plays well, one step at a time, we'll see what happens. Uh, the big thing I'm lamenting, fellas, 
I just wish we could have the fans. And I know, hey, it's wish fulfillment, but we all know the passion and the rivalry of Toronto and Montreal and watching, particularly that Sunshine State matchup. I mean, that game one, Tampa, Florida, was just ridiculous. And you had a good crowd there, 50% capacity, 10,000 fans, sounded like 20,000. So I can't wait to watch the game. I just wish we could have the fans, but I know fans in Quebec and Ontario are going to be going wild. Yeah, and you can feel the energy in the building even watching those games on TV. Do you think the the Canadian, the, the North division here, both series are going to hurt in a way not having the energy in the game? Like uh, we, we all know the players have had to generate that all season, but when it comes to the playoffs, do you think it's going to be more, no, this is the playoffs, come play hard, or will we see a difference in the two series here north of the border? I think a little bit, Scott, Ziggy, I think what ends up happening is this. I think the players themselves, like you wouldn't be able to tell a difference. Because like you said, it's the playoffs. I mean, if you're not jacked up for that, you got issues. You don't need 20,000 fans screaming in your face to realize the importance of these games. But I do feel like as a viewer and as a TV guy, watching it, you'll sense there's just not as much buzz just because you don't have, like I said, 10,000 fans screaming on every possession and, and kind of riding that cascade of emotion. So I think the actual hockey itself the caliber of the hockey is going to be excellent. And we're going to enjoy not only Toronto, Montreal, but also Edmonton, Winnipeg. I just think in terms of a TV perspective, yeah, you're just not going to have fans roaring at times, which definitely adds an impact, especially come playoff time. It's just so synonymous with the sport this time of year. Doug in Brantford texted into 590-590, and he's a faithful texter, faithful listener. Adnan Verk is the only man in sport who does more than Shohei Otani. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd, go, I'd go with that. You Tell Doug that, that is a compliment. That's a compliment of the highest order. And how about Shohei Otani? <laughs> now that Doug opened the opened the door a little bit, we had a breakdown yesterday with Bill Ripken and Sean Casey, and we were saying it's one thing to pitch every fifth day; it's another thing to hit. But the fact the guy is 13 home runs and leads the league, the fact he's a 2.10 ERA and is one of the best pitchers in baseball, it's mind-boggling. You guys saw the JJ Watt tweet. None of people are talking about this. I agree. More Otani conversation, and particularly that home run. The stat, fellas, he hits 789 slugging percentage on high fastballs. Like, think about that. That's like up in the zone. Normally, those pitches, you go, hey, let's just fight it off. Take this the other way for a base hit. We'll be happy with that. No, no. He not only hits that ball, he punishes it for extra bases. It's amazing. I really hope he is healthy and has like a decade and a half long career. Oh. Because, I because he's Babe Ruth. And that that's an extreme hot take. I get it. Like, Babe Ruth's one of the greatest players to ever live. But m most people, I th think, don't talk about enough how good a pitcher Babe Ruth was in the early days of his big league career before he moved to the outfield and was an excellent hitter so that he could play every day. Like, Shohei Otani is, I don't know if he's ever going to be at Babe Ruth's level, but the skill set, the toolbox is the same. Yeah, the biggest thing is, Scotty, anytime you can use Ruthian in a sentence and you're not talking about 1920, that's what's amazing. And what you're saying is Otani, what he's doing is Ruthian. And it absolutely is. Like when his rookie season, we hadn't had a guy hit 10 or more home runs and pitch 50 or more innings in a century. So we're going to hopefully, like you said, God willing, see this year in and year out doing so at an elite level. Again, if it was just a parlor trick of, okay, this guy's got a four and a half ERA, he hits about 250, but it's kind of a novelty act, kind of interesting. The guy pitches in, hits, like whatever. But no, he's doing both at the highest levels of the game right now. And, and I echo your sentiment about just hoping for good health. And please, Lord, can the Angels get some pitching? Because now Trout is out six to eight weeks. 
Otani is doing what he's doing. We're going to have another season of Angels baseball not in the playoffs. And it would just mean so much to the sport if we could actually see those two guys in October. With the Jays win last night, are they legit? Or is just this a Ryu start and played well and all the bats were kind of going? No, I think it's big. Honestly, Ziggy, Tim Kirchin, my friend for years at ESPN, said there's certain games you call them a circle game. And managers look at the schedule and they circle them up and go, okay, this is a big win. This is a turning point. And sometimes a circle game goes the other way. And you go, this is a bad loss. Now, Boston mm-hmm. will obviously shake it off, but their guy, Ronald Rodriguez, that's their ace, and the Jays roughed him up. When Danny Jansen, who's now batting a gentlemanly 143, when he gets a couple of hits on, you're like, all right, here we go. Our light-hitting offensive catcher, defensive catcher, is able to make an impact. Ryu, again, though, it's just sensational. It just goes back to what a great signing he was, the fact he was top three in Cy Young a year ago, the fact that the reason the Jays got him was they went that extra year. Other teams are only willing to go three years in Ryu. The Jays said, no, we'll give you a fourth-year $80 million. And so far, he's been tremendous. Like, as a 32-year-old signing a four-year deal, there's some risk involved with Ryu's injury history. Instead, you see a start like last night, the previous start, seven innings, only one run. Uh, masterful work from him, and the Jays' offense certainly has been coming along after Vladdy had been carrying them for much of the season. They're doing this, fellas, without George Springer. That's always my thing. I'm like, mm-hmm. he did some, you know, light, light drills yesterday, hasn't started running. But if you always look at Memorial Day in the States, Victoria Day back home, around that time, you go, okay, third of the way of the season, how are we looking? And there's certain teams you can start to discount. I heard you guys talking with Shulman about the Twins. You can start to write them off and go, okay, they're not going to bounce back here. But with the Jays going into this series, hey, we win two out of three. We're in first place. That means something. And they're playing their best baseball of the year right now at the best time. Here's the bad news. Ross Stripling goes today. ERA just below six. Hasn't been good. With Adnan Verk on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and this is Something to Chew On, brought to you by Great Canadian Meat. So Kyle Lowry spoke yesterday. Masai Ujiri is scheduled to speak at 10 o'clock this morning to the media as the Raptors continue to do year-enders. We will carry that live here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and our buddy Donovan Bennett will join us in the next segment to talk Lowry and then to preview Masai. What should we expect to hear from Masai Ujiri today, Adnan? Because I'm telling you, until there's pen on paper on a new contract, you can't convince me 100% that Masai is returning to the Raptors. 100%, Scotty, and there's no bigger issue for this Raptors team right now. I don't care who it is. The most important thing is the guy running the team, the guy who put his name in the line, put his reputation in the line, made that great trade for Kawhi, made other moves along the way, and delivered a championship to Toronto, period. If Masai Ujiri leaves, that is a gigantic, gaping hole in the Raptors organization. And we've heard the whispers before, but what other teams could offer him, particularly part ownership. I mean, this always happens with management figures. You started as a GM, you have success, eventually become a president and general manager. And then the third job is always, okay, I want like a piece of the ownership stake. That's what's happened with Theo Epstein. Theo had all that success with the Red Sox, then goes to the Cubs, becomes the president, has Jed Hoyer as a general manager. And now as he bides his time, whatever job he gets next, he's going to get, you know, 2% of the ownership stake or whatever it's going to be. So for Masai, you know, he's built his name. He's gone up every level in terms of success in the NBA. Now I wonder what that next step is. And I hope, by the way, he stays in Toronto and he has a lavish contract and whatever he wants in terms of autonomy. But I'm telling you, other teams know how brilliant he is. Of course they do. And I worry, as you said, Scott, unless he says, yes, I'm definitively staying in Toronto, who knows what other team could court him with? Right. 
I, I just I and as long as Penn is not on paper, there will be skirting of questions today. It, I, it's yeah. going to be an interesting dance to listen to him try to deal with these questions. Unless he comes out and stuns us all at 10 o'clock this morning and says, I've signed a new contract. It's, I mean, he's certainly not going to sit down and say, well, I'm definitely out of here. So it'll be no. inter- it'll be an interesting dance. So many of these year-enders are for formalities and you don't get much. But the as I, as I call it, the dance here today, it'll be interesting to see how he handles that. Yeah, it'd be amazing if he was like Leonardo DiCaprio on the Wolf of Wall Street. Like, you, you know, he starts <laughs> telling he's leaving. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving. Like, ah! Whole press car starts cheering and roaring. Somehow I don't imagine that would be. Although, if he did do that, we would have a celebration reminiscent of what we saw on the Wolf of Wall Street. Man, I'm just seeing, I'm just as you're talking there, I'm looking up, on Sportsnet Central is running on the loop. I'm seeing Kevin Pillar get hit in the face with a fastball. Oh. Again. That's just mortifying, man. I just, just saw Vernon Wells, former Blue Jay, tweeting about that, going like, oh, my God, my big nose would be shattered. I mean, it, it's honestly, you look at that picture, and it's shocking it wasn't worse, right? Like, and, and that picture is gruesome and grotesque. Poor Kevin Pillar, former Blue Jay. For those who haven't seen it, literally drilled in the face now with the Mets, and he's got, you know, they, as they called them, contusions, gigantic bruises on his nose and welts under his eyes. But that could have been worse, like flush right in the face. I mean, listen, we've seen a player 100 years ago die after getting beamed with a ball. It was right. scary, scary stuff. Yeah, and I'm like, I, I just, I, I know where my brain would be the next time I step into the batter's box. Oh. I mean, forget the odds of it being very unlikely that it would happen again. I'd just be like, geez, you know, I'd, I was about to it'd, say, be, it'd be in the back of my mind, that's for sure. And knowing baseball, Scotty, every pitcher knows that. So you better believe. First time Polaris was back in the box, he's getting to pitch high and tight. All right. Uh, avoid those German suplexes and those stone-cold stunners. <laughs> and uh, if, uh, if you are able to avoid them, we'll talk to you next Wednesday. Hopefully an RKO is not in my future. Yes. I'm off to deliver some iPads. <laughs> there you go. Adam Hedberg <laughs> of WWE Monday Night Raw, which you can hear on uh, – here, you can hear him watch – on Sportsnet Central every Monday night. Uh, The NHL Network, MLB Network, and a bunch of other things. Donovan Bennett is a writer, a host, a producer for Sportsnet. And he is all over the Raptors situation. Messiah to speak on Sportsnet 590. The fan at 10 o'clock this morning, we will carry his press conference. Kyle Lowry spoke yesterday. What will Messiah say, presuming, of course, the contract hasn't been signed? We'll get into that with Donovan next. Yesterday, Masai Ujiri, as the Raptors continue their season-ending press conferences, is scheduled to speak at 10 o'clock this morning, and we will carry that live for you here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. And it will be a fascinating song and dance because our understanding is that Masai has not signed a contract extension to remain with the Toronto Raptors. He is a pending uh, for lack of a better way to put it, unrestricted free agent. And we know that he, he is a brilliant man who could continue to be brilliant in basketball. He could con- continue to be brilliant outside of basketball. It could be a hybrid of both. Who the heck knows? So how will Masai answer 
the questions about his future in a little less than an hour and a half. To discuss that, the state of the team, uh, what Kyle Lowry had to say yesterday, here he is. He is a host, he is a producer, he is a writer. You see him all over the Sportsnet platforms, and he is a friend of the show, Donovan Bennett. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? Well, I, I we're good, and uh, we don't feel guilty about getting you to roll out of bed because we know you got the kid. You've probably been up for three, three and a half hours, haven't you? Not quite three. Oh, really? Okay. But, but I've been up. But they say early bird gets the worm. I'm not <laughs> sure if that's actually correct, but I tell myself that every morning when I roll out of bed. Okay. Uh, begrudgingly. So the, the early bird gets the worm. Does Masai pick up the pen to sign the paper to keep him here in Toronto at some point in the next, what, few weeks? That's why you're a host on morning radio for segues. Terrible like segues. That. <laughs> that is Just why. dreadfully incongruent segues, but there you go. I, I think so. I mean, it could be the optimist in me that thinks so, but I do remember a conversation, my first conversation, in fact, with Masai when he came to Toronto and we did an interview after his original press conference. And one of the things that I vividly remember him saying that was somewhat unprompted that he didn't have to say was that no matter what happens, I'm going to leave the franchise better than I found it. And that's unquestionably true. Just look at the legacy of all the things that he's done. Look at the banner that you know will be um, in the Scotiabank Arena forever. But it's not in a great place now. And given the calendar, uh, given that the team's going to find out who or where they pick on June 22nd, given you know the fact that you, you are on the doorstep of free agency and you've got what amounts to be a longer offseason than normal for the Raptors because they aren't playing in the postseason for the first time in eight years. You've got 19 weeks between now and when training camps open. I, I, I believe that, quite frankly, he still wouldn't be around um, making a lot of decisions and running things that are going to impact the dominoes this offseason if he knew he wasn't going to be here when ball is tipped next year. So I, I do think given his desire to make sure he leaves the franchise, whatever that is, in a better place than he found it, I, I do assume, and this is an educated guess, that he'll come back. But I, it will not be for lack of options because if you told me that Masai Jiri is going to take two to three years off or he's going to go run the the newly founded basketball league in Africa or he is going to be a politician and clean up some of the messes that we've seen uh, in politics over the last couple of years, I wouldn't find any of those things surprising so certainly it's not for a lack of options and certainly he's someone who's paid to negotiate so he knows his value to this franchise and really to MLSE at large so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic but I won't be surprised if uh, if we're having an exit uh, press conference with Masai in the near future. From what we know about Masai, loves challenges, right? Comes into this organization, and like you said, it's a lot better than when he got here. Do you not think that, or do you think that the the fact that the Raptors didn't make the playoffs this year, would that mean that he would, there's, bigger, there's more of a chance of him coming back rather than say they went on a little bit of a run this year, and he's like, hey, 
We had the best record last year. We won it two years ago, and then we go on another deep run here. Now it's on to the next thing. Do you do you think there's any kind of uh, do you think that could be the case here? The fact that it wasn't a great season for the Raptors. Yeah, they had a good season and they just rode off into the sunset. And Bobby Webster could just, you know, move up a corner office and, and change mm-hmm. his title and take over. I, I do think it would be easier to go because I do know that the job wears on him. Certainly, from you know a time management perspective, because he's got so much going on both personally and professionally and philanthropically. But I do know that some of the difficult decisions that you have to make in the job wear on him and, and he said this is the reason I'm not going to be in this job long because it is it's difficult the DeMar DeRozan decision although the right one at the time and retroactively was very difficult the Dwayne Casey decision although it was the right one was very difficult the greatest Vasquez decision which everyone knew probably at the time and certainly knows now was was difficult weird on him because it's someone that he knew from um, the time when the greatest Vasquez was a a high schooler and and um, you know basketball with without borders the Jonas Valanciunas decision which you know now uh, as Jonas is playing out of his mind maybe doesn't look as good as it did when Marcus was locking down uh, centers in the playoffs but nonetheless from a personality standpoint it really really eats at him to make these tough decisions and which is why he's always said I'm not going to be in this job uh, for long but I do think to your point he does love challenges. He does love the fact that, you know, this team is once again being counted out. And really, as soon as they won, people were saying, oh, well, Kevin Durant's Achilles. That's not a real title. You, you should be happy you got one. And he is a builder, and he is a scout at heart. And given when he came and he was kind of doing a home reno on the fly, he's never really been able to build it from the ground up because some of his trades – made them really competitive faster than they thought they would be in terms of schedule. This is going to be the chance really this off season to have as close to a clean slate as they've had during his tenure. There's a potential of either signing or signing and trading Kyle Lowry, but also they're going to have a lottery pick. Jakob Pertle at number nine is the only lottery pick this front office has made while being together in Toronto and they've won a championship. And now in a draft that is really top-heavy when you talk about the top five, that it falls off the table a little bit. I, I wonder if the scout in him and the builder in him is looking at this project and saying, yeah, this, this really interests me. With Donovan Bennett on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Kyle Lowry addressed the media yesterday, and this is what he said about Masai's situation affecting his own. So his decision, yes, it, it definitely... Um, well, you know, factor into anything, but um, I, I want him to get what he, he deserves, right? He's one of the, he is the best out there, right? He will get his, his payday and he, and it's well-deserved and well-earned. I, yeah, he didn't trade for me, but he was the one that paid me to, to stay twice. Um, he gave me the opportunity to, to continue to lead. So his decision is based on him and I want him to be happy whatever he decides, whatever he chooses to do. Okay, so Kyle's got a decision to make here at some point in the next few months leading into next season, Donovan. If Let's play this game for a moment. Kyle Lowry re-signs. And we obviously can't predict what else the Raptors will do. But Kyle Lowry re-signs. And we know what we know now of this current roster. 
where are the Raptors in the Eastern Conference and the discussion of the Eastern Conference heading into next season? In the middle of the pack, probably. Right? Like, I mean, even if Kyle resigns, when he came to Toronto, he was 26. He's now 35. So, how long is that high level that he's continuing to play at going to last? But, I mean, forget about the conference. Just let's look at the division. Let's look at the Atlantic. The Knicks are an ascending asset with some cap space. Uh, and, and, you know, they've got you know, multiple picks uh, over the next couple of years. Their front office has done a really good job. And the Brooklyn Nets, although they still have yet to play together for an extended stretch, they've got three of the best 15, 20 players in the sport. So you have to realistically say without a true dominant a-list player, something that maybe we tried to cast Pascal into being before he was truly ready, that this is a team that is going to get by based off of a great culture and some good depth that we saw eroded a little bit this year and some young, interesting uh, prospects and internal growth. But that's a nice story until you have a top-end player to, to really leverage those things and take you over the top to see Kawhi Leonard. So it, Kyle Lowry on this roster, given no other massive changes and some factored in internal growth, they're in the middle of the pack, which is quickly becoming a more competitive Eastern Conference. But the top of the East with the Nets, with the Knicks, and with Philly in your division, that is that is uh, a dogfight, no question. If Lowry does move on, and his options are ten million to go to a winning t- a championship contending team, or thirty million to a handful of teams in the league that aren't very good. Which way do you think he goes? Oh, thirty million, and I don't think he thinks much about okay. it. He is he is someone. One, I think part of it is his mentality that he thinks well, wherever I am is going to be a championship contender, regardless of what they've had there before his force of will so i might as well just make three times as much money in this uh you know theoretical experiment but also he has talked about the fact that he wants to you know set his children's children's children up for a legacy financial success and he wants to invest in his communities and he wants to be a bit of an entrepreneur a bit of an owner not just a player. So whether that's an owner in sports or in business or just having the financial flexibility not to just be rich but to be wealthy and to decide what spaces you play in, he is about securing the bag. He was being quite honest, which if you're a Raptors fan is good news because they have his bird rights and they have more cap space than most of the teams that would be able to sign him. So they, they do have some benefits there and you know some of the potential landing spots You know, L.A. was one at the trade deadline. They won't have necessarily the room. The Knicks are an off-rumored one. Again, they won't have the room necessarily. Miami, a team that's always mentioned with Kyle Lowry, it has been in the last two times he's been a free agent and was the closest suitor when the Raptors re-signed him uh, the first time. They're the only real team who have the role, the opportunity, and potentially, if they're motivated, they could have the money again we could get into a sign and trade with Miami and then then who's coming back uh, this way which was the problem at the deadline but 
Two times Kyle Lowry has been a free agent while a Raptor. Both times he recited. Both times the Raptors were the highest bidder for his services. So in this thought experiment, if there is a big money offer to come to Kyle Lowry, I think it's going to come from Toronto because he actually is much more valuable to them moving forward as the continued face of their franchise than he probably is elsewhere. And I think Kyle Lowry, who thinks openly, maybe does talk about it openly, but does think about his Hall of Fame candidacy and looks at, you know, the only Raptor to maybe accomplish as much in a Raptors uniform and Chris Bosch going into the Hall. And he thinks to himself, if I ride out into the sunset with this franchise, does that help how I'm perceived in four, five, six, seven years when I'm trying to go into the Hall? I think those are things that, that certainly motivate him. Besides Presser, we'll carry it here on Sportsnet 590, the fan at 10 o'clock. Looking forward to it. Uh, thanks, Donovan. Always fun to chat. We'll do it again very soon. My pleasure, fellas. But Donovan Bennett, writer, host, producer. Uh, jack of all trades, master of all of them, too, uh, for Sportsnet. Yeah, I, I don't know, Ziggy. Like, I, most of these are just, yeah, I'll tune in and they'll say what they'll say. Mm. But this one, this one hits a little different because... Masai, if he hasn't signed a contract extension, can't come out and say, well, yeah, we're we're done. I'm staying. And he's also not going to announce that he's leaving. So mm-hmm. but he's also a master with the media. So how does he how does he play the middle ground here saying whatever he needs to say without actually saying anything? Yeah. I want yeah. I want him. I want Masai back. I want Lowry back. The fact that they didn't get anything for Lowry, he goes somewhere else now. It's a loss. Yeah. Well, I want to know what happened. That's what I want. I want to hear the whole story of exactly what happened. Maybe we'll hear. Maybe we'll hear it today. Um, right? Because that's coming up. That's I, I want to know exactly what the process was in deciding not to move Lowry at the last second. Was did he go up to Masai and say, you know what, I really don't want to go anywhere. Um, but if he if Lowry, you know, doesn't if he if he resigns, fine. Like I, I could care less. Um. But if they he does move on, it's that's a loss of a- assets for the organization. Masai speaks at ten o'clock here on Sportsnet five ninety. The fan good show will lead up to it, and the boys will react after Masai speaks. We're back at six o'clock tomorrow morning. One more sleep until the Leafs and Habs. That's why you're a host on morning radio.